high desert, the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening or good morning, as the case may be. And welcome to another edition of Coast to Coast AM, actually, from the Hawaiian and Tahitian Island chains out west, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Just about all points in between, south into South America, north all the way to the pole. This is indeed Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Great to be here, and we are going to scoop ABC's Good Morning America this morning or this evening, as the time zone may dictate. In the morning, it is my understanding, save a change, that um, there is going to be a demonstration, finally, finally, ladies and gentlemen, of an over-unity uh, process, uh, a process that yields more energy out than goes in. That's what over-unity is. Uh, some call it free energy. Some call it um, over-unity. Uh, you get the idea. In other words, very little to zero power in and many, many watts out. As a matter of fact, the working prototype uh, water heater by Clean Energy Technologies, Inc., is going to be profiled sometime between 7 and 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, more likely close to 7 in your respective time zones. And I have been screeching about this for I don't know how long. And this morning, you're going to find out all about it before ABC's Good Morning America tells the nation about it. Because I have Dr. Eugene Maloff, uh, who is editor-in-chief of Cold Fusion Technology uh, magazine, uh, with me. In a moment, I will tell you more about Dr. Maloff, and we'll find out what's really going on. So if you've been curious... Uh, about this whole free energy field. We've got somebody qualified to speak about it coming up in a moment. All right. Um, a couple of announcements, and then away we go. One, I received this from a man at sea, Gus Darnell at sea off the Washington coast. Art, w regarding the weather, check this out. Super Typhoon Nestor, N-E-S-T-O-R, 18.4 north, 147.6 east, maximum winds right now, 201 miles per hour. I've been a seagoing radio op for 27 years. Never heard of it. Captain been at sea over 20. Never heard of it. Uh, that's from, uh, uh, that is from uh, John. Uh, actually, I guess uh, sent by John. So thank you, uh, John. Um, that is a monster typhoon, and there's beginning to be some uh, action in the Atlantic as well. I think clearly, again, you don't have to be a candidate for employment at NASA to understand our weather is undergoing a rather radical change, quickening, if you will, and we'll get to that later on. Uh, I do want to tell you that the days of my signing or autographing first edition copies of The Quickening, my book about this process and so much more, are coming now to an end. And uh, as long as you order now, you will get an autographed copy of my book. But I'm uh, giving you the little rattlesnake early warning here that um, soon it will not be available in that form autographed. So if that is of concern or you want an autographed copy, you need to order now. It's 1-800-864-7991. That's 1-800-864-7991. 
800-7991, and uh, that number is available now. Uh, with regard to the cruises, one to Alaska, one to Egypt and the pyramids, and so much more, uh, if you wish to uh, uh, check with, uh, uh, to see if there are any openings, and they may, there may not be at the moment, they may be booked, I'm not exactly sure, but there, there have been from time to time uh, one or two openings, you can call, um, you can call the cruise company, and you know what, <laughs> as usual, oh, I've got it, good, thank goodness, here it is, uh, you can call in the morning at 8 o'clock Pacific time, 1-800-633-2732 or 1-800-848-7120. Let me give that last one again. It's probably the one you ought to call at 8 o'clock. Uh, Alaska coming in August and Egypt coming in October, 1-800-848-7120. All right, now, since 1995, Dr. Malov has been the editor-in-chief and publisher of the bi-monthly Infinite Energy magazine, Cold Fusion, and New Energy Technology, based in Concord, New Hampshire, with a research lab and publishing facility in Bow, New Hampshire. He has, now listen carefully, a Master of Science degree, a Bachelor of Science degree, in Aeronautical and Astronautical en Engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And he has a science doctorate in Environmental Health Sciences. That would be Air Pollution Control Engineering from Harvard. Wow. With broad experience in high-technology engineering at companies including Hughes Research Labs, TASC, the Analytical Science Corporation, and MIT Lincoln Laboratory. He has also had extensive hands-on experience in lab settings, most recently in cold fusion. In 91, he worked as a consultant to U.S. corporations doing and planning R&D in cold fusion. He is the author of three science books for the general public, including the Pulitzer-nominated book on cold fusion, entitled Fire from Ice, Searching for the Truth, Behind the Cold Fusion Fuhrer, and oh, a Fuhrer it has been, eh? He's taught science journalism at MIT and at Boston University. He was chief science writer at the MIT News Office when cold fusion erupted, good word, Prior to that, he was a top science writer and broadcaster with the Voice of America in Washington, D.C. also wrote science and technology articles for magazines and newspapers, including MIT, Technology Review, and the Washington Post. That's a lot of qualification. Doctor, welcome to the program. Delighted to be on, Art. Um, Thank you for having me. It is indeed. I know about 20 after 2 in the morning back there. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> Dark in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, but this is a very, very timely interview in that finally tomorrow morning, uh, a national network is going to show the nation uh, something that has over unity gain. Is that correct? Yes, uh, they will profile, as you said, the uh, technology of uh, a company that is one of the companies working in uh, coal fusion, uh, clean energy technologies, 
They have uh, a prototype water heating unit and uh, can't quite buy it at Kmart yet, but there it will be on national television. Oh, by the way, they have, uh, to be absolutely clear about this and accurate, back in uh, February 7th, 1996, on both Good Morning America and Nightline, mm-hmm. they also profiled uh, the same company with their earlier uh, technology. They also did Pons and Fleischmann. Uh, but here we have a more advanced stage of development that, as uh, long as schedules uh, go according to plan, uh, should appear on Good Morning America this June 11th. Mm. Um, this is not the Patterson technology, is it? Uh, yes, it is, actually. Uh, but is? The, uh, to be accurate, I don't know the latest configuration of their water heating unit. Uh, the Patterson configuration to which you refer is a patented process, it, it must be called cold fusion, even though that is not referred to in the patent. Uh, that part of the patent office was rather generous to allow that patent through because all the other patents, including the Pons and Fleischmann patent, are being outrageously blocked by um, rather arrogant officials uh, who don't believe in data uh, at the patent office. All right, Patterson, well, is, is Patterson has these coated beads with metal that uh, much like the, the Pons and Fleischmann... All right, let me read you what I've got here from uh, the Media Alert release. It says, The working prototype water heater by Clean Energy Technologies, Inc. will be profiled. According to company sources, the device, uh, which does not use Dr. Patterson's uh, patented coded bead technology, mm-hmm. but instead a new method developed by the company, has been producing continuously several hundred watts excess energy since last February. Yes. That is, a, that is accurate. According to uh, my conversations with uh, the head of uh, Clean Energy Technologies, or CT, C-E-T-I, as, as it said, uh, they've got a twist to this. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh, my understanding it is it has something to do with a, instead of just a static cell, it is something where water flows through and gets heat from this unusual cold fusion process, whatever the cold fusion process may be. Uh, but the, this, uh, this process, this newer technology that they are uh, bringing out, uh, flows through uh, piping and uh, maintains a very, very um, uh, extraordinary heating of water to the, to the extent that um, it uh, was stated as hundreds of watts. There's no particular reason in my mind to think that it couldn't be scaled to almost any level. All right. Well, what I was trying to be clear on here mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dr. Patterson's uh, uh, technology, the patented coded bead technology apparently is not used. Mm-hmm. So what is it then? A sort of a... Uh, a modification of Dr. Patterson's patent, or does this still actually qualify under his patent? I'm confused. I, I, my working assumption, not having seen the device myself, uh, we'll wait to see it on ABC, uh, is that it uses particulates of some kind, that is, small particles, could be a variant of that bead, but nonetheless not in a static mode. In other words, not held together in a tight small place, like a few cubic centimeters, such as the Patterson cell normally has, but perhaps these beads or some other particulate flowing through in an unusual manner in piping and still producing this continuous supply of heat. Mm. That is my uh, understanding, my latest understanding. But, you know, uh, I must say, 
Patterson cell is by no means the only cold fusion cell that is working on this planet today. I mean, there are numerous uh, cold fusion, in quote, processes uh, which are producing heat regularly, in some instances not so regularly. Which all right, let, let's back yeah. up a little bit, mm -hmm. and uh, let me ask you, first of all, what is cold fusion? Assume that you're talking to somebody, you know, who doesn't, has heard the phrase cold fusion, but has no idea what the hell it is. Um, what is it? Well, <clears throat> let's go back to the uh, first uh, uh, episode. Pons of course, everyone knows that Pons, not everybody, but uh, most people recall, if they're old enough, <laughs> Uh, that in on March 23rd, 1989, uh, there was an amazing announcement coming out of the state of Utah in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. uh, Pons, doctors Pons and Fleischman, very respected chemists at the time, and still in our our view, of course, um, made an announcement uh, which was widely carried on, on on the news media that they were getting more heat energy out of a cell of water. It was called heavy water at the time. It's part of all water. Mm -hmm. uh, then the electricity put in. Uh, they were using um, heavy water, which, as I say, is part of all water. One out of every 6,500 atoms of ordinary uh, hydrogen in water is a heavy form. And so that's called heavy water when you get it all together. Okay. It's real cheap, and it's, of course, very, very abundant on the planet. And it's not radioactive. They said, uh, look, we have a little cell with heavy water and a salt that allows electricity to go through, and there's a palladium, a metal uh, electrode, and there's another electrode called a platinum electrode. We pass the current through, we get heat out, we look at this heat that's coming out, we measured very carefully, and we get so much energy coming out of this cell that it cannot possibly be an ordinary chemical reaction. It must be nuclear, they said. How, how, how is one able to measure mm -hmm. uh, the fact uh, you, you measure units of heat energy versus oh. the amount of current uh, that you're passing through the device? Right. Watts of electrical power in uh -huh. as a power measurement versus, let's say, watts or BTUs or right. any heat unit you want heat unit, right. coming out. Uh -huh. Now, they were getting elevations in that over unity, in other words, more out in terms of heat units than electric units going in. Okay. And that is not a, a, an ordinary chemical reaction. You know, lighting a match from a matchbook will, in effect, do that too, you realize. It, it, you, you just put a little bit of energy in and you trigger a reaction that produces a lot more energy out. Except in a chemical reaction, like a match or a candle or a log, it's self-limited. You know, it, it just produces a certain amount of energy, and then it goes out. And then goes out, right. Well, in the case of a cold fusion cell, it doesn't go out. It goes for weeks or months, and in some cases, for the better part of a year, okay, without stopping. And the question was, even to Pons and Fleischmann then, what is causing this heat? Now, of course, the establishment didn't even accept the fact, nor should they have on day one, that there was more heat coming out by far than... Electricity going in. All right, I I'm old enough to remember the announcement, and what I remember following it was uh, a whole group of institutions across the country trying to replicate, uh, which is science, yep. the experiment they did with very mixed results. Some institutions came back and said, "Yes, we've done it." Others have said, uh, "It's failed. It didn't. It doesn't work." And there was a great controversy that ensued. Yes, indeed. That is exactly what happened. There was a tremendous controversy. 
because the claim that nuclear reactions, potentially nuclear reactions, occurring at, on a tabletop uh, was a very shocking uh, claim to be making. Sure. Uh, if they had not been, by the way, the world-class chemists that they were, Dr. Fleischman is a fellow of the Royal Society, Stanley Pons was head of the University of Utah chemistry department, they wouldn't have even been listened to. I mean, it would be the usual crank uh, business, sure. unsupported by evidence, and uh, that would be the end of it. Now, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, uh, they triggered a worldwide uh, frenzy of activity, indeed, to replicate them. They and sure in fact, did. many did. Many people rather quickly did replicate their claims. All right. Uh, doctor, hold it right there, and we'll come back and uh, have more time to get in this, uh, into this in, in great deal detail. So if you really want to understand what's going on with cold fusion, keep it right where it is. I'm Art Bell, and this is CBC. Taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Once again, here I am. It is a completely non-trivial topic. We are talking about our future. If you look at the pall of air hanging over our cities right now, uh, no matter whether you're right, left, or whatever you are politically, you cannot be happy. That pall of air um, is coming from the uh, use, uh, or some might suggest misuse, of fossil fuels. If we don't do something about it, it's going to do something about us. And so we're talking about energy, an alternative form of energy, the real thing. If you want to really know what's going on, you won't budge from where you are right now. Back to Dr. Eugene Malov in a moment. Now, uh, back to Eugene Malov. And I hope I'm, am, am I getting your name correct? Is it Malov? Yes, that's a good, uh, that's close. Most uh, Malov. Uh, you're right on target, Art. All right. Uh, good. Uh, now, Pons and Flashman. Here we had... Uh, the demonstration, then the great controversy, some universities able to replicate, other universities saying they were unable to replicate. Yes. Uh, where do we go from there? Well, again, this was the spring of 1989. It seems like a century ago to us in the Cold Fusion War, but there it was. March 23rd, 1989 was the beginning of the worldwide race to discover whether or not Pons and Fleischmann were correct or not. They yes. could have been mistaken uh, because there was a lot of... Um, uh, backroom infighting and the compl complex political maneuvering that led to that press conference. They themselves did not want the press conference, by the way. They wanted to wait another 18 months. But due to controversies with another group in the state of Utah, the announcement occurred, for better or worse. Was it a race? Yes, it was a race for many people to get into it and find out who could be first, to either find out that they were uh, having a correct uh, observation in science or whether they had made a terrible mistake 
and uh, should be regarded as uh, somehow fools. Uh, in any event, uh, the, the establishment rather quickly, in weeks, uh, came to, to its own private conclusion. They maintained a public air, a veneer of respect uh, for Pons and Fleischmann for a while, a little grace period. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, well, look, let's check this out. And then uh, major institutions such as MIT and Caltech <clears throat> and Harwell Laboratory in England uh, were coming to the conclusion rapidly that Pons and Fleischmann had made a terrible mistake. And they wanted to prove uh, to the world that Pons and Fleischmann uh, should be uh, gotten rid of. And, of course, uh, there was this media flurry, a very large media flurry. The Cold Fusion story made the cover of Time, Newsweek, and Business Week on May 8, 1989. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is this. Many groups did get excess energy, uh, some with difficulty, and even without guidance, people uh, knowing something about electrochemical systems were able to see the effect. It was weak at that time. It wasn't a major effect. It wasn't as extraordinary as it is today with some of the newer cold fusion systems, but it was there. Now, the, now were, uh, may I ask, uh, sure. were Pons and Fleshman at that time yeah. giving assistance to those universities trying to replicate the experiment? They were getting some assistance. The lawyers that were responsible for guiding the way the announcement came out at the University of Utah uh, did to some extent tie their hands. Uh, a lot of this was tied up in patent issues and so forth. The university wanted to take some advantage of this, as it as well should have. <coughs> Excuse me. If, uh, as Fleischmann today would say, they did not take care to protect the rights of the University of Utah, they would subsequently have been considered um, a derelict in duty. Mm-hmm. But they did, in fact, give some assistance. And in point of fact, even in those cases where not much assistance was given, the effect was replicated. Now, the high-profile places, such as MIT, Caltech, Harwell Laboratories, and a number of other places that did rather quick work, uh, claimed not to have gotten the effect. Now, today, this is of only historic importance, because those high-profile places, their results were very much used by the U.S. Department of Energy panel that was set up to investigate this as um, a certification that this was a terrible mistake. All right, Doctor, in your best estimation, Mm -hmm. uh, why did these high-profile universities, um, why were they unable to replicate the experiment? Let's take three, the three prominent examples that have been used by the, that were used then by the Department of Energy and still used in the mythology against cold fusion as to what was going on. Now, in the case of Caltech, they published, uh, the Nate Lewis team published in Nature magazine uh, extensive reports on their heat measuring experiment. It turns out that they published interesting data, very interesting data, except they analyzed it improperly. You know, in fact, if you look at it, high school algebra and common sense, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of the complexities, indicate that it's fundamentally improperly analyzed. At, the, at, at, at worst, it's an ambiguous result. At best, there was some evidence of excess heat. Certainly, under no circumstances, is that work to be regarded as a definitive negative. Well, well again, you, this is all historical. All right, well, uh, and I want to hear the history. Would you characterize that report mm-hmm. as uh, a benign mistake or, or otherwise. I don't consider it a benign mistake. Not when 
the uh, subsequently to the publication of the Caltech result, uh, several excellent electrochemists and chemists and uh, engineers sent scientific correspondence to Nature magazine asking the ordinary a question, look, we see some fundamental simple errors in algebra and other things in mm -hmm. this report. Mm -hmm. We want to publish our letter, letters that show the error that they have so that the record can be corrected. And Nature magazine, which was on the warpath against cold fusion at the time. Why? Well, they were, there was, there was a brouhaha. There was kind of a pack mentality as so often occurs when a heretical new discovery is is launched upon the world. Boy, I'll tell you, I have never in my life, scientists are some of the, the, the worst feuding bunch uh, of professionals I've ever seen in my whole life. They are. The, the, the problem with scientists, I must say, I consider myself more of an engineer, but a true scientist in spirit, certainly, um, uh, they have a card that says, I am objective, but this is not true at all. We know <laughs> that scientists act according to their emotions, according to their funding sources, according to their worldview of how the universe works. That's what was happening. And, of course, at MIT, uh, where I was, and I had a, a better insight there, uh, even more outrageous things happened, things that I did not even realize were happening until uh, more than a year went by after the announcement. I was the chief uh, science writer at the news office at MIT, responsible for reporting research from MIT, reporting the pro and cons that were going on about cold fusion at MIT. Now, their work was reported as negative. And in, and in fact, it is not negative. Uh, to my great dismay, later in my investigation of what was happening, yes. uh, and I was skeptical of cold fusion myself in the beginning. Right. Certainly, no, a year after, I was beginning to believe that it was almost certainly true uh, two years after the announcement, I was—I uh, said the evidence was overwhelming, mm -hmm. and now it's 100% certain. But what I saw in the MIT data was outright fudging. Now, this data was was uh, supposedly a fair experiment whereby a heavy water cell, that is a pons fleischmann type cell, was compared to one that had ordinary water in it. And by right. the way, this is with... They're palladium electrodes, so there's no confusion. The same thing that Pons and Fleischmann were doing. Right. They ran 80 hours of results, and they had already made various uh, planted news stories in the media uh, against Pons and Fleischmann, and they used the word fraud. That began to enter the picture from... Uh, uh, some of the MIT researchers. The allegation you're making right now is every bit as serious. It's very serious because in the summer of 1989, after they had already pretty much gotten rid of Pons and Fleischmann in, a, in an outrageous uh, uh, flurry, I of remember attacks, that. I remember against that. Pons and Fleischmann. Oh, I remember. Nature went against them. Nature magazine, Science went against them. Uh, the New York Times went against them. The Department of Energy, of course, was completely in, in attack mode at that point. And uh, they were, it was almost irretrievable at that point. Uh, but MIT hadn't even analyzed its data. But lo and behold, I have documents that show on July 10th, 1989, as they were preparing the data for publication on the heat measuring ex experiment, lo and behold, the Pons and Fleischmann uh, uh, type ex part of the experiment that MIT was doing 
uh, had showed a positive result. It showed excess heat. The ordinary water control experiment showed no excess heat. Mm -hmm. But three days later, this draft report was significantly modified, and voila, the heat had disappeared. It was suppressed. It was budged. Subsequent to that, an excellent uh, MIT graduate, Dr. Mitchell Swartz, uh, now of Jet Energy Technology, another coal fusion company in the Massachusetts area, uh, examined it in greater detail and found that the shifting and the fudging was even more egregious than I thought. Basically, they had suppressed evidence. Now, if they had, this did not prove coal fusion. This did not prove it. You could not prove coal fusion by one experiment. But if you had the results that they had, and they absolutely had these results, in the summer of 1989, of course they had collected it in the spring of 1989, you would have been duty-bound to the world to show this evidence of course. and say, look, there it is, bare minimum, they would have had to do the experiment over again to either get rid of that, to say, well, it was a little mistake on our part, or that there really was something there. But instead, defending their position of, as a $30 million a year recipient of funds from the federal government, to do hot fusion, that is to mimic the stars with thermonuclear reactions inside a high uh, magnetic field, right. uh, they wanted to preserve the status quo, and they did just that. Oh, my God. You're telling me that to preserve, it, it always comes down to money, doesn't it? To preserve their funding their, uh, uh, for, for uh, a continuation into a look at hot fusion, mm -hmm. which is a very... Um, Expensive area. Expensive, hard process. Mm -hmm. They looked at this uh, simple process, and your word, fudged the results yep. to murder uh, cold fusion uh, to, in its cradle. Yes, and it's even worse than that, actually, because prior to that, uh, prior to the uh, disaster of fudging data in the summer of 89, and, and by the way, publishing it in a journal that was edited by a man who was working under one of the hot fusion laboratory people, that is, under the director of the hot fusion laboratory at MIT. Talk about uh, peer review, you know, having a sort of pressure put on. Uh, there would be no question that this data was going to be published and certified as some sort of peer-reviewed uh, piece of work. Uh, you know, it, it was it was just incredible. But what they did in the in earlier in the spring of '89 was to tell one of the major newspapers in Boston that they had found evidence of fraudulent activity on the part of Pons and Fleischmann. And this is what happened. I well remember the day I was called at midnight. Uh, by the director of the Plasma Fusion Center, the Hot Fusion Lab at MIT, yes. and he said, "Look." CBS News is telling, telling me that the Her Boston Herald is going to have this story that says, I said that Pons and Fleischmann were possibly uh, guilty of fraud and schlock science, wow. scientific schlock. And, of course, at the time, uh, being green and not knowing what, what was really going on, I respected this professor. Uh, I thought that he was probably correct, and the Boston Herald was, was misinterpreting what he had said. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to issue a retraction over the AP, UPI, and so forth, which I did, of course. 
uh, not knowing any better at the time, I assumed he was correct and was not uh, deceiving me, it uh, turned out that he was not correct. It turns out that the very words he used against Pons and Fleischmann to plant a story against them and set the F word in motion, the, the fraud word, became very popular then. You. Um, you know, this, this uh, report of his behavior was wrong, and he almost got a, a reporter fired. If that reporter had not had a vi an audio tape of his interview with the director of the Plasma Fusion Center at MIT, that reporter would have been fired on the spot. That was the opening shot, I would say, of the war against Pons and Fleischmann. All right, so that war, uh, you think, began not because of some deep, dark oil company conspiracy. Not at all. But rather um, a war over funding mm -hmm. for alternative energy, uh, hot fusion versus cold fusion. Is Absolutely. That the hot fusion program gets got then from the federal government over $350 million, uh, this is magnetic hot fusion, not, not to say there isn't other hot fusion, which is the laser inertial hot fusion, which now they want uh, more and more billions of dollars for that, but that's a weapons-related project. It can't honestly be sold as energy. Well, it'll probably get the money. It will. <laughs> but back then, the hot fusion people at MIT and Princeton and elsewhere were deathly afraid that the federal government was going to shift just a little bit of that money, maybe $25 million was being talked about in Congress, Toward to investigate coal fusion. coal fusion. And they didn't want that to happen. They were, they were terrified that their system, which they've been working on for decades, would collapse. You have to understand, Art... But, I mean, we're talking about uh, scientists who are supposed to be dedicated to the truth and finding out what's real and what's not, mm -hmm. what's possible, what's, what's not, what can be replicated and what cannot. And mm -hmm. you use the word fudge. There's lots of other words I could think of yes. that would be more appropriate. I would characterize it, and I will characterize it, as utter fraud. And in, in fact, the fraud magnifies itself as every year goes by for the following reason. In the beginning, they thought, well, we can get away with this, or an, an, a lower echelon person perhaps thought, look, my boss doesn't want to see these results looking positive, so I'll, I'll make them look the way we all know they are, namely, there can't possibly be anything here, so let's just wash it away. You have to understand, these people did not believe they had a positive result. They believed that they just had a result that looked sort of positive, but it didn't matter anyway, so why not fudge it, okay? That's what they thought. Why not but fudge it? Why not fudge it, Doctor? I well, mean, I, you, you heard me at the bottom of the hour. Yeah. We've yeah. got paws of dirty air hanging right. above our right. cities. Right. Um, we're burning fossil fuels uh, that have a limit. Uh, it's not an infinite resource. It's a finite resource. Exactly. Uh, we're coming to crunch time pretty soon. The environment is beginning to revolt. The weather is beginning to worsen. I have a distinct feeling it's because of what we're doing. And so what you're saying is very non-trivial. You're saying these people, for the sake of grant money, mm -hmm. squashed something yes. that could have done something about all of this. Absolutely. And it was, it was worse than that. You know, the federal uh, panel that was set up under Dr. John Hazenga, Professor Hazenga from the University of Rochester, that panel was, was set forth because there was a big furor about coal fusion. And the president, uh, Bush at the time, wanted to know whether it was real or not. So he told his energy secretary, Admiral Watkins, let's have a panel. And they got a panel of so-called experts, 22 people, 
uh, one of whom, by the way, was from MIT. His name was Mark, Dr. Mark Wrighton, no longer at MIT, but he became the provost eventually. He was then the head of the chemistry department. Uh, other negative people, people who are on record now as having known in advance that the whole business was nonsense. So this was the so-called jury they came up with. Let me tell you about the jury. Heisenga told the people who asked him to be the chairman of the panel, the co-chairman of the panel, don't even have a panel. This subject is such absurdity, it's so nonsensical, that it's going to go away in several weeks. Well, it didn't go away in several weeks, so he did his patriotic, <laughs> quote, work of becoming a member of the panel and acting according to what they probably expected he would do, namely whitewash it and, and, and throw the whole thing in the trash can. The other guy was named uh, Dr. William Happer from Princeton University. He was then the uh, senior research man at the Department of Energy. He said, just by looking at Pons and Fleischmann on television, you could tell they were incompetent boobs. That's on the record. Oh, right? my God. And they use these people as judges. <laughs> All right. Uh, doctor, relax for a few moments. We've got quite a bit to do, and we'll get back to this in a big way. Um, you know, if what you're hearing is true, it's about enough to uh, reduce a strong person to tears. Is that what our country is all about these days? I hope not, and I am afraid so. From the high desert, this is CBC. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. Good morning from the high desert. I'm Art Bell, and I do have a guest. He is Dr. Eugene Maloff, and we will... Um, We'll kind of update you on where we're going. It, it involves cold fusion and some allegations that are extremely damning regarding the history of cold fusion and some of the biggest institutions in our country. Ones, by the way, that Dr. Meloff has been part of. So this is serious stuff. Later on this morning on ABC's Good Morning America, so we're scooping them on this a little bit, there's going to be a demonstration of an over-unity device, a water heater, uh, using cold fusion. <laughs> so we're sort of uh, going back over the history of cold fusion with Dr. Meloff, and we will do that, uh, continue doing that, and update you and tell you uh, a little bit about the good doctor in a moment. Uh, however, before we do that, there's something that I want to clear up, or at least I hope it clears it up. Uh, there's nothing like tape you know, uh, recordings, which we do since we're uh, a radio program, uh, to clear things up and put them in the proper perspective. You're all familiar, I presume, with Joyce Riley. Joyce Riley is a nurse who's been, uh, been the, a champion of the rights of 
Gulf War vets who are still coming back sick, their families, their friends, the American public general in danger, generally in danger from whatever in the hell it was released uh, during the Gulf War, whether it was our side, their side, whatever it is, there seems to be little argument anymore, or maybe there is, like cold fusion, about whether this Gulf War uh, syndrome is real or not. Joyce Riley has documented a very great deal of information suggesting that it's very, very real. Well, on the, uh, the I had her on the program, I don't know, I think it was, what, about, uh, what was it, folks, last week? And uh, she did a wonderful job. However, during the course of the interview, uh, there was a reference to Michael Reagan. And uh, the reference was that uh, the Reagan show had contacted her, that she had actually met uh, Mike Reagan at some sort of uh, National Association of uh, Talk Show Hosts Convention or something, and uh, she had talked to him and uh, given him information on the Gulf War Syndrome, and he said, please supply me with documentation, uh, and we're going to do a show. And this is my recollection of it, and we'll get the exact words in a moment. Uh, well, um, she supplied the documentation to Mike Reagan, sent it to him, and she then spoke with one of his producers, who said, yes, we want to get you on the air. This is my recollection of the conversation, or the way it went. And uh, he said, oh, just one more thing. How far back does this go, the cover-up, meaning the cover-up? And Joyce said back to 1982, at which point she was told, she says, by the producer of that program, well, then we can't have you on. Obviously, it went back to the Reagan uh, administration. Well, I found that extremely distressing and shocking. And I don't attack other talk show hosts. If the facts attack them, that is their problem, not mine. I have no axe to grind whatsoever against Michael Reagan. We do very different kinds of programs. Uh, so earlier today, I got a call and I said, you know, well, I didn't say, it was said to me that, you know, all week long, uh, Michael Reagan has been trashing you. I said, really? Um, no kidding. And so I thought then uh, it would be rather important for the audience, uh, particularly at this earlier hour, to know exactly what was said on the program that apparently has brought this trashing of me by Michael Reagan. So what I'm going to do right now is have the network replay that particular segment, and you can hear it for yourself. So, network, uh, roll the tape, please, now. And I want her now to tell you exactly what occurred uh, between her and Michael Reagan. Um, uh, Michael Reagan contacted you, Joyce? I was with him at the uh, National uh, Association of Radio Talk Show Hosts Convention in Houston. I was there, present there. Right. I handed him a news release that said biological weapons used in the Persian Gulf. The right. disease is communicable. Right. I handed that to him when we were having our picture taken, <clears throat> and I simply said, our troops are not just sick, they're dying, Michael, and I need to get this word out. I need America to know about this. Uh-huh. And he said, that's horrendous. You mean communic it's a communicable disease? And I said, yes. 
you mean these men are really sick? This is really that bad? I said, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I want to have this on my show. I said, certainly, no problem. He said, will you be on my show? And I said, yes. So his producer called me the next day or two days later and asked me to fax the hard copies of the documents supporting what I said. In other words, Michael Reagan wanted proof what you were saying really was true before he was going to put you on the air. That's correct. Okay, so you faxed documents? That's correct. I faxed about 30 pages to him, to which they were very comfortable with the information. And uh, his producer called me back to schedule a time and asked me, I just have one question for you. How far back does this trading with uh, Saddam Hussein go in the sharing of biological weapons? And I said, 1982. And she said, well, I guess you know that we can't have you on the show since it goes into the Reagan administration. And I was shocked, and I said, but the issue is so much more important than who was in power at the time. The issue is we've got sick Gulf War veterans. Well, subsequent to that time, of course, I have not been invited on the show. However, he did recently have on a man named Michael Fumento. Michael Fumento has written an article for Reason magazine in the American Spectator called Gulf Lore Syndrome, saying that the disease is not real, this is all hysteria, and that this is a big joke by the media played on the Gulf War veterans. Oh, my God. That these men are not sick, and if they would just get a life and a psychiatrist, they would understand that they have a mental problem, not an illness. And Michael Reagan had that person on? Yes, he did. And Michael Reagan told, uh, Michael Reagan's producer told you they would not have you on the moment they discovered it went back to the Reagan administration days? Absolutely correct. That's correct. Now, the interesting thing is, and I quote uh, a book called The Killing Winds, since the Reagan administration took office in 1980, budgets for both biological and chemical weapons skyrocketed. Now, understand they were illegal at that time in 1969, so that in 1980, we shouldn't have been doing this. Our budget in 1969 for biological and chemical weapons was $19.4 million. When Reagan was in power in 1987, our defense warfare budget was $71.2 million. That was for uh, a so-called defensive program. So I think the issue is that we did the majority of our buildup um, and trading with all of these unstable third-world countries during that time, and I think that's the issue. You know, my statement to, to, to Mr. Reagan is, I, 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 I respect you, I respect your program. I have no problem with him personally other than... It's about time that we get past the issue of who did what to whom and treat these Gulf War veterans. They're dying, they're sick, they're having deformed children, and all the while being told they have a mental problem. We've got to forget everything else and realize this is a national military genocide. And I don't know how much more plainly to say it. All right, all right. Um, I hope that uh, that the tale of the tape um, just proved to you all that I did not, uh, nor do I ever, trash Michael Reagan. If this incident uh, is as related, the incident trashed Michael Reagan, uh, as far as I'm concerned. The incident itself, I don't go out of my way to trash anybody. I'm too busy. I've got too much to do. As a matter of fact, we've got to get back to it right now. Now, uh, the latest was Joyce Riley called and said she's been invited now, suddenly, 
on to the Michael Reagan show uh, later today, uh, probably um, in the second hour, I'm not sure, but on the Michael Reagan show, uh, you will hear Joyce Riley later today for a generous, I am told, 15 minutes. I don't know what the nature of the interview is going to be. I have no idea, but prior to it, uh, I really thought the American people had a right to know what actually was said. And what you heard, just heard, just now, is what actually was said. That is a um, unedited uh, a version of the, uh, of the actual occurrence on this program. So there you are. Um, for whatever it's worth, I did not trash Michael Reagan. If he wishes to be trashing me, go right ahead, Michael. Um, but I certainly did not trash you. If anything, my friend, you trashed yourself. Um, enough said. Um, we have business to do here, and we're going to get back to it in a moment. All right. Uh, what we're in the middle of right now is uh, very pro As you all know, and I've said it a number of times now, look at any of our major cities. You will see a pall of dirty air hanging over them. This is not the only effect of burning fossil fuels, which have a... Uh, uh, which are, of course, a finite uh, item. We're going to run out of them. We need energy. Uh, Dr. Meloff has made some incredible allegations regarding the early work of Pons and Flashman and some of the uh, institutions that tried peer-reviewing that work. He has said quite plainly that these institutions, and I'm quoting, fudged the results in order to squash cold fusion uh, in order to get, and I hope I'm getting this right, in order to maintain the level of grant money that was being given to the government for hot fusion. This is completely unacceptable. So that you know who you're hearing, let me again tell you, Dr. Meloff has been uh, editor-in-chief and publisher of the bi-monthly Infinite Energy magazine, Cold Fusion, and New Energy Technology, based in Concord, New Hampshire, with a research lab and publishing facilities in Bow, New Hampshire. He has a Master of Science degree, a Bachelor of Science degree, in aeronautical and um, astronautical, um, astronautical, that's correct, engineering, from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and a science doctorate in environmental health sciences, air pollution control engineering from Harvard University. With broad experience in high technology engineering at companies including Hughes Research Labs, um, Hughes Research Labs, TASC, the Analytical Analytic Science Corporation, and MIT Lincoln Laboratory, he's also had extensive hands-on experience in laboratory settings, more recently in cold fusion. Since 91, he has worked as a consultant to U.S. corporations doing and planning R&D in cold fusion. He is the author of three science books for the general public, including the Pulitzer-nominated uh, book on cold fusion, Fire from Ice, Searching for the Truth Beyond the Cold Fusion Fuhrer. He has taught science journalism at MIT and Boston University. He was chief science writer at the MIT News Office when cold fusion erupted. Prior to that, he was a top science writer and broadcaster with the Voice of America in Washington, D.C., and also wrote science and technology articles 
for magazines and newspapers, including MIT, Technology Review, and the Washington Post. And uh, I apologize, Doctor, for stealing the time away from you. I had to get that on the air. Well, it's quite all right, actually. The, uh, looking at another controversy puts uh, human behavior again in perspective. It uh, does. There are a lot of similarities between, uh, I'm not going to get into the details, of course, about that controversy that you just aired, but uh, if the facts are as presented as I presume they are, uh, it shows how sometimes, or very often actually, human beings uh, do not act in uh, the most ethical manner when it is when embarrassing issues or uh, let's say conflicts of interest occur. In the yes. case of in the case of cold fusion, let me let me spell out what the conflicts of interest were back in 1989, and I want to also tell your listeners that the Activities of MIT, Caltech, and uh, other people who claimed negative results, high-profile places that claimed negative results back then, they are of historic, uh, historical importance only. They do not reflect on whether or not there is a reality to cold fusion today because the experiments that are now published over and over again, the work in Japan, the work in China, Italy, France, uh, Russia, etc., provides overwhelming proof that we are dealing with a new scientific and commercial, emerging commercial reality. Right, However, and, and it, it set the course uh, in a very uh, negative way back in the spring of 1989. All right, but later on this morning, on Good Morning America, uh, there will be a demonstration of a, is it uh, proper to say cold fusion? That is I would say that, yes, the word cold fusion, we have to say this, it's only used because that's the name that originated back then, that there might be a nuclear-type reaction akin to, uh, let's say, the hot fusion reaction which uh -huh. occurs in stars. All right, this, uh, this will be a water heater, a yes. practical, this is what I've been asking for, some sort of mm -hmm. practical device that yep. actually demonstrates the process works. So they're going to bring a, a water heater out mm -hmm. that has been operating now for how long? Months. Months. Months, since February. Uh, you have to understand, uh, by the way, uh, this is a, a, a rather significant event in that it represents one company of many coal fusion companies now, uh, not, not uh, dozens or hundreds, but a handful of companies within the United States that are perfecting this technology and have reached levels of hundreds to even, in some cases, thousands of watts experimentally, not always with consistency, but here's an instance which apparently, I'm saying apparently since I have not personally tested this device, I look forward to doing it, um, uh, has hundreds of watts capability, definitely verging on the kind of technology that for many years now, since we knew cold fusion was real, uh, we predicted would occur. Is it economically viable? absolutely is going to be economically viable. This energy source is immensely powerful. First of all, the fuel cost is essentially zero. Zero? That's zero. And what do I mean by zero? Yes, what do you mean? What I mean is this. The capital cost of the equipment, of course, will be something. When coal fusion technology is finally uh, on the market, as it will be, Okay, we will have installations that cost no more than uh, when the mass production takes over than your ordinary oil burner or gas burner or whatever else you're using today. But there will be no deliveries of oil, there will be no deliveries of natural gas, no meter for electricity, 
there might be some periodic uh, incidental changes of materials, and we do not believe, by the way, that the materials required for advanced cold fusion technology will use precious metals such as palladium necessarily. It might be involved, but unlikely to be uh, limiting the process. It will be simply the changing of uh, certain uh, filters, uh, incidental matters of this sort, normal upkeep. But the fuel cost will be zero. I cannot emphasize that enough. Water is essentially free, right. right? Right. That's what we're talking about. Now, the implications of that were clear on day one. In fact, all the news media back in the spring of 1989 asserted that fact. It was clear that if Pons and Fleischmann were correct, which was the only issue at hand, not politics, not how well they announced their claims or whether it was a news conference or not a news conference. Mm -hmm. The only issue at hand on the table in 1989 should have been, do they have a valid claim? Now, the shocking news is this. Numerous people began in the spring of 1989 to, be, to report positive data. And this was all filtering in and inundating the Department of Energy panel that was so-called investigating this this business. Instead, what the Department of Energy did with that data was to trash it utterly. What they did was a kangaroo court with biased witnesses. And what was that date, by the way, 89? 89. 89. The report All right. issued almost immediately. The summer of 89, they had their conclusion. They finalized the report in the All right. fall of 89. Doctor, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back. Dr. Maloff is my guest. I'm Mark Bell. This is CBC. calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Good morning, everybody. Music is good. It soothes, you know, when you're simmering, it soothes. <laughs> you know, I could expect um, that perhaps the oil companies with all their power, the energy companies, the utility companies, would want to suppress something like cold fusion. But to imagine cold fusion was, in essence, back then anyway, killed uh, because of jealousy over grant money, is almost too much to bear. And that is exactly the story that we've been hearing from Dr. Uh, uh, Meloff. And we're going to get back to him right now. Doctor, I've got a fax here um, that asks at some point, could you please discuss this form of energy production as it relates to the second law of thermodynamics? In other words, entropy, you cannot 
uh, break even, as in decay. And, uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, believing exactly what you're saying, I wonder how many people out there actually realize what all this means on many levels. It is indeed astounding news. Yes, but it, <clears throat> let me let me try to address that question. Very appropriate and interesting question. Actually, the the first law of the thermodynamics, the energy conservation law, is the one that is in, in re reality much more important than, on, uh, on this issue. All right. Cold fusion. When you have any device that appears to give more energy out than you're putting in, mm -hmm. you begin to wonder, well, am I making a mistake of some sort of in my calculations or my uh, analysis of the system? Now, let me point out, there are systems today that if you did not understand how they worked, you would say that the conservation of energy was being violated. I'll give you a very simple example. All nuclear power plants today, if you did not know that a nuclear power plant had a nuclear reaction going on in the metal rods of uranium and so forth, you would see water going in one side of the nuclear plant at one temperature, cold, and coming out hot on the other side and seeing its steam generating and generating electricity. Right. And you'd say, my God, this plant is violating the first law of thermodynamics, conservation of energy. Sure. Well, of course, we not, don't say that because we understand that a nuclear reactor, fission nuclear reactors, right. which is we all are familiar with, uh, it works by known principles. But if you did not know that, if you brought that back to the 19th century... It would be magic. It would be magic. And, you would, and, the, and the people in the 19th century would say of this, this wonder, they would say, where is the coal? Where is the uh, oil? Where is the wood? Where is the smoke coming out of the stack? It and then they there. would probably strap the scientist who claimed right. to have invented it to a right. wood pole and burn him alive. Right. Now, that's exactly what we're talking about with coal fusion. We're talking about a new type of energy that happens not to produce deadly radiation, thankfully, that happens to produce stupendous energy density. The energy density in these, that is the concentration of energy in some of these cold fusion cells, experimental and otherwise, is quite large. It is thousands of watts per cubic centimeter. That is, uh, something about the size of your thumb would contain energy of thousands of watts of power. Now that is big. This That's is big. a very concentrated form. It is not producing deadly radiation. The big mystery about cold fusion has been since 91 when we almost any serious person looking at the data would have to say that it was either certainly true or was building strongly in that direction. Now it's 100% certain because we have not only extremely good technical papers on it showing the evidence clearly by extremely good organizations, but we have the beginnings of commercial uh, products. All right, most people, I think, have a basic understanding mm -hmm. of a nuclear reactor and the mm -hmm. fusion process. Uh, the fusion uh, process. Fusion process. Uh, how, do we, um, how do we delineate and explain the difference between that and what apparently is going on with cold fusion? All right, let's give a tiny, non, as non-technical as we can, Thank tutorial. Thank you. Yes. Fission nuclear power began with, in most people's minds, the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Sure. Okay? That is uranium or plutonium obtained a particular isotope of uranium, U-235, which had to be separated and concentrated in the Manhattan Project, a great tour de force. Uh, that is a power whereby a large, massive atom, such as uranium, is split. 
And nature provides this technique very simply. You just take a batch of uranium, make it pure enough and small enough, and smash it together with ordinary explosives, and you will get a chain reaction which splits many uranium atoms, Mm-hmm. And then you get a bomb. And releases the energy all at once. And releases it all at once. Mm-hmm. When you do it in a fission reactor, such as uh, the power plants that we have around the country today, yes. uh, you do it slowly. Fission occurs slowly in a controlled manner, such that it doesn't explode. There's no possibility of exploding in a bomb-like state. Uh, there are some hazards involved, but nonetheless, uh, in the U.S. at least, it's been fairly benign. All right. Okay? Now... There's another form of nuclear energy that people have known about. Not fission, not the splitting of heavy atoms, but the joining of light atoms, uh, as in hydrogen. Now, that's what the sun is apparently doing in the core of the sun, where it's 20 million degrees. An ongoing hot fusion. ongoing hot fusion reaction caused readily by the fact that the sun is enormous. It has gravitational uh, uh, containment of the fusion reaction, and so it burns for billions of years. Not burns, literally, but fuses. Hydrogen becomes helium. Okay? Helium is a different type of element. Right. There's a change in elements. Right. That's fusion. Now, okay. fusion is also used in hydrogen bombs, in thermonuclear bombs, the kind we have in our arsenal, the ones that are a thousand times as powerful as the Hiroshima bomb. The really big bangs. The really ones that could, could if they ever were released, one single bomb would take out a city easily. Okay? Okay. Now, that's hot fusion. And the other kind of hot fusion, of course, is what the government has supported for over four decades at universities, which is a tour de force to mimic the stars, to make a controlled fusion reaction. And to try to contain it, I take it with... uh, Magnetic fields. Magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. And things of this sort. Now, let me just tell you, to show how... to show what I hope people will perceive as my integrity, I am a man of integrity, I always supported that. I always thought it was a good idea to put research money into that process, you know, even if it were to cost a lot of money. No, it makes sense. Uh, okay, if it, you have a potentially infinite supply of, of water, certainly, energy, certainly. It, it would be wonderful if we could get to the goal. All right, where are we now, presently, with the hot fusion uh, technology? How, uh, I, I know, I, I've heard reports that they've achieved it for very tiny amounts of uh, instant uh, portions of a second or something or another. Yep. Where are we? We are... Nowhere, okay? There is no chance that this technology of hot fusion is ever going to produce a practical reactor. I say practical. I know my engineering judgment tells me, of course, if they were given enough money, decades from now, we might have a very large football field size or a very large complex reactor that indeed would be a central station producing electricity. Give them enough billions, they'll do it, uh-huh. right? Yes, but cold fusion, of course, if it's real, and if, uh, I believe there's no question that it's real, it's being commercialized at this point, is so much better, that is, it doesn't produce deadly radiation as hot fusion would if it worked. Uh, may I ask a question sure. about hot fusion? Yeah. Uh, with fission, uh, as you pointed out, there's not really a great danger uh, of explosion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there could be the China syndrome, there could be yeah. meltdowns yeah. and so forth. Uh, but generally, there is not... Uh, the risk of a gigantic explosion. There certainly could be the poisoning of people if uh, like materials Chernobyl, were... Right. Re- re- yeah, Chernobyl. Um, with the hot fusion process, assuming that you could get a plant going, mm-hmm. would there be 
a danger that would uh, exceed the, the fission uh, mm -hmm. uh, process? No, a hot fusion plant, in a, if it one were to be built, and I'm sure they will never be built at this point, uh, will would not be danger a danger of meltdown or explosion. There would be highly radioactive materials. That's something that the hot fusion people don't ordinarily advertise. Suppose the magnetic uh, containment failed. What would occur? Uh, nothing in particular. There would be the escape of the radioactive tritium fuel, which wouldn't be good, but it is. it wouldn't be nearly as bad. Uh, in my opinion, uh, from what I understand, right. as a, uh, a fission plant uh, problem. All right, so a hot fusion would be good if we could get it, but we don't have it, and there's right. no um, realistic um, well, you can't opportunity keep... for us to have right. it in the near future. Therefore, we get to cold fusion now. Yes. Um, they are going to bring out on Good Morning America, assuming they run the piece after we've done all this, mm -hmm. uh, in the morning they're going to bring out a water heater. This water heater has been operating for some time now, right. independent of um, what? Uh, well, they have had input power to it. You have to understand that. The, uh, it, ultimately, coal fusion devices will have will be self-contained. Will, there will be no connection to the grid. The grid is going to wither. In, in my opinion, as an engineer and seeing the implications of this technology, there's no doubt at all that um, taken to its logical conclusion, which will begin to happen in the next several years, uh, certainly the first decade of the next century, we're going to see, in my opinion, an explosion of this if it is a technology if it is not suppressed by other means, which it could be. All right. I want to know, how much electrical input does this water heater need to operate? Okay. The one they have today, yes. since I do not have the technical specifications yet, uh, I cannot say, but I can say what I have seen before of their technology. Right. Here's, here's the way it works. They have had little tiny cells uh, demonstrated at various uh, uh, symposia and uh, cold fusion meetings and commercial uh, uh, exhibits, which have, let's say, one watt of input power and wow. several tens of watts of output power running continuously. And any engineer with a, an electric meter measuring the input current and voltage, and measuring the temperature in and the temperature out could easily determine that the output was about 30 or so times the input power. All right. Now we get to matters of measurement. Art, would you please ask the doctor if this overunity is merely pointing out an error in units, i.e., perhaps a unit of electricity is not equal to a unit of heat. That's a very interesting concept, but it is not. It, I'm glad to say that there's no mistake here. Okay, uh, I'll give you another example. My colleague Jed Rothwell, uh, at one of the meetings in which the clean energy, a clean energy technology cell was being run, one of the earlier versions. Yes. They had 1.4 watts of electrical power going into the cell, and this was in a hotel suite. Yes. Out of the business end of the cell, yes. the heat transfer uh, piece of equipment was coming something on the order of 1,300 watts. Now, it was only going for, for several hours in that condition, and it was sufficient to make the hotel suite very uncomfortable. It was like a hair dryer from 1.4 watts. Now, 1.4 watts is on the order of a small nightlight yeah. or less. Yeah. So you don't get a hairdryer heating effect, I'm sure most of your listeners would, would agree, from 1.4 watts. I agree. There's no mistake. Now, the issue has to do with power and energy. Now, the energy is the interesting thing. Power is just what you measure on one instant. Okay, it's a thousand times the input power, and that's impressive. But, you know, a match can do that. 
Uh, well, instantaneously, Instantaneously, yes. but it won't go on indefinitely. Right, and now, this is a continuing process. This right. cold fusion is a continuing process. Right. Now, Motorola tested one of the Patterson cells, and I'm very impressed with the results because what they did is they got it up to temperature, 65 degrees centigrade water going in, and it was there was some electric power going in, and there was uh, 60 degrees centigrade, I'm sorry, going into the cell, and 75 degrees centigrade water coming out with a little bit of electric power in, about, was pr producing about 20 watts. However, they then turned off the input power when it came up to speed, and it went on then, this little tiny cell, with that same temperature difference with no input power, zero input electricity, for days. I have the data, and we published it in Infinite Energy magazine, showing that at least for 11 hours it was dead on straight. So in other words, uh, here you have a device that mm -hmm. once the input power is uh, cut off, mm -hmm. uh, you have an obvious uh, documented continuing mm -hmm. process underway. Exactly. And there can be no mistake when you have water flowing through a hot object. If it is a trivial effect, if it was just like a hot rock placed into a water stream, the water, as any of your listeners would know, should cool the hot rock, and that should be the end of it, and the process should stop, and there should be no temperature difference between input and output. But there is a temperature difference, and this effect has been seen over and over and over again in cold fusion. This is no joke. Now, furthermore, nuclear changes have been seen. Here's where we have the evidence of the process going on. All right. There is, there is no doubt about that. What occurs? Well, a whole host of things occurred. To ask what is cold fusion is about the same as asking what is chemistry at the beginning of chemistry. Mm -hmm. If you were to say what is chemistry in the beginning of, uh, let's say, the 19th century, you know, it would be like asking for an encyclopedia. We, we are seeing uh, art just the tip of an iceberg. In one instance, some excellent Japanese work and American work by the naval um, Navy, Navy people at the Naval Surface uh, Weapons Center in California, China Lake, they have seen helium as a production. Professor Arata in Japan, who, by the way, was one of their original hot fusion people, now firmly in the cold fusion camp, he has seen in the recent uh, excellent publications uh, helium-4 produced, or, uh, that is the ordinary form of helium that you find in toy balloons, sure. and another form of helium called helium-3, which yes. is extremely rare on Earth. So when you see it in an experiment, you know, my God, we're producing a new element from hydrogen. So in other words, in the process of cold fusion, mm -hmm. they're finding helium-3. And helium-4. And helium-4. But also in these Patterson cells and in other cells, such as Professor Dash in, uh, in Oregon and... Uh, Dr. Mizuno in Japan, and uh, a number of other people we could cite, they are seeing the changes in heavy metals. Now, in the case of the Patterson cell, where you have metal coating these plastic beads, what you get are changes in the thin metal, which have been looked at by Dr. Miley of nuclear engineering at the University of Illinois, and they find dramatic changes. They're quite akin, in a way, to fission, but one important difference. They are not radioactive. Benign. They're benign. benign. So it is like the gift of the gods, I have to say that. It is like 
what could be better than finding an omnipresent fuel that we don't have to fight over, namely water? Actually, it does get better because it is my understanding, and, and you're going to have to explain this, that it is possible to take some of the high-level uh, waste we have, which, by the way, they plan to store next to me out here, mm -hmm. uh, or in New Mexico, Yes. and in this cold fusion process, somehow mm -hmm. uh, cause it, and I'm not a scientist, so I, I don't know where disappear. I'm going to cause it to disappear, to decay. Transmute, to transmute quickly and cheaply. That is the other thing that the Good Morning America show should reveal, because we know they've done this and we know they've filmed it. They take uranium and thorium, which are both radioactive. This is not high-level waste, by the way, that they use in these experiments, but it's just the principle in any event. It could be done for high-level waste. You take the uranium and thorium, you put it on Patterson beads, and you apply this very minor, very benign electricity, yes. and you get, within a period of hours, you get a reduction, a substantial reduction of the radioactivity. Where is the... Thorium, uh, where is the energy going, Doctor? Well, only God knows, or the theorists know. By the way, there are dozens of theories to try to explain this. But I am convinced that we must get back to the fundamentals of science, which is data is much more important than theory. And grants. And grants. All right, Doctor, hold on. You've got plenty of time. Relax. We'll come back, and when we do, we'll go to the phones. Thank you. So, in other words, uh, in other words here is a process, ladies and gentlemen, that will allow virtual free energy and, by the way, as sort of a side benefit, uh, will give us an opportunity to get rid of some of that awful poisonous stuff that otherwise we're going to have to store for hundreds of thousands of years. Do you understand the implications of what you're hearing? This is CBC. Toll-free, west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. It is. I'm Art Bell, and uh, it is great to be here. My guest is Dr. Eugene Maloff. And if you would like to ask him a question, we're about to open the phone lines. Love to have you join us. So pick up a telephone and uh, and call. Now back to Eugene Maloff, is editor in chief of Infinite Energy Magazine. And by the way, if you go to my website, you will see a link uh, to the Good Doctor's website where you can get much more information on that which we are discussing. Uh, this morning. So uh, I suggest you do that. Of course, we have our webcam up there. I'm presently uh, trying to reconnect to it right now. And you'll be able to see the show in progress as well as go to Dr. Maloff's website. Uh, all that in mind, we're about to go to the phones. So if you have questions, and, and remember, later today on ABC's Good Morning America, 
if everything goes well, and I presume that it will, uh, they are going to bring out a water heater uh, that for the first time nationally in this sort of a forum is going to demonstrate exactly what we have been talking about this morning. It should be quite a moment. Now, we don't know for sure which hour this uh, demonstration is going to occur, but we believe it may be in the first hour. To be on the safe side, if you can't watch, I would tape the entire thing. It usually begins about 7 a.m. in whatever local uh, time zone you happen to be in. Uh, that may be different in mountain time zones. As the famous saying goes, check your local listings. Dr. Melov, are you there? I sure am. All right. Um, how about a few questions from the audience? Love to take them. Here they come. First time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Eugene Meloff. Hi. Gr greetings, Art, and the doctor from the Internet. Uh, where are you, sir? I'm in cyberspace. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm on, I'm turned... I'm on, your, I'm on your website, and, and uh, when you do get a chance, tell us exactly where that link is. The Need More Energy seems to go to, uh, to health food, not to the doctor's site. Uh, if you would, please turn your audio down. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on a cell phone. Uh, I'll try to keep my voice down. No, 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 no. I meant the radio program going on in the background, sir. Oh, I have it all the way off. All right. Uh, go ahead. Do you have a question? Uh, just blown away by the subject. Unbelievable effect on world economics and structure, the wealth, power, military. Um, if the doctor get, has a chance to, to respond to a couple of these different topics at some point later on, maybe. Sure. Uh, the effect on space-based, uh, space-bound payloads. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, uh, whether or not the machine feeds itself uh, perpetual motion. Uh, whether uh, what, how pure the sample that may be required and the, uh -huh. the real safety issues for such things as combustion engines and other uh, smaller applications for that sort of thing. Right. Um, I really am very excited about it. My uh, my uncle was actually at both Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh -huh. um, he was the radar man, uh -huh. and I'd always looked forward to a time when atomic energy could, in a safe way, uh, you know, possibly be unleashed in a different format. Well, here it is. And it just seems like it's it. Uh, you know, is what is Joan London and uh, the other fellow going to just be blown away by this? Is it that revolutionary that all the, the energy companies will just flip? Actually, that's a very good question because uh, I understand this has already been taped. In other words, it is, is that correct? or is That it is correct. This, this probably won't be a very big segment, but uh, as TV goes, my understanding it might be something like a four or five-minute segment. As I say, it's been done uh, in the past with less lesser performance. Uh, talked about and uh, uh, verified by other scientists on Good, uh, Good Morning America about a year ago and also on Nightline. Uh, but it is being followed closely, and now we're seeing a rather quantum leap because of two things. We're seeing not only a much higher performance level uh, uh, over a long period of time, but we're also seeing uh, what Art uh, earlier mentioned, the transmutation of elements that is taking radioactivity Okay, which indubitably exists in the system at the start, and then goes down, is dramatically reduced over a period of time, hours, not billions of years, and we get rid of the radioactive waste. It's incredible. By the way, they're not the only people that have done this. There are some other groups that we will be reporting on in Infinite Energy we, uh, in magazine. We have uh, concrete evidence in hand that this pro process of reducing radioactivity that is transmuting elements, which I would call the back door of cold fusion, the opposite side of it, uh, has occurred. The data seems to me to be without uh, question, is extremely carefully done, 
And I have no doubt about it at all. It has enormous implications for the state of Nevada, to say the least. Yes, sir. He also asked about our space, space. program. Let's go back to that. Space, will be re space exploration will be revolutionized, no question. I've written about this many times. And what we will see at the bare minimum are small, compact units. We do not need solar power that go into space stations, go into space capsules to take care of the routine energy needs. Therefore, we won't need all that much uh, uh, generating equipment, such as big solar panels that we have now in space stations. But the m more exciting thing is this. Given that we have already developed so-called ion engines, these are engines that expel propellants at very high velocity electrically. All that's been lacking is electric, a source of electricity. Now, they were planning to use uh, fission reactors, ordinary nuclear fission reactors in space, but of course that's politically untenable and probably not wise anyway. So now we have a compact source uh, potentially uh, emerging here with this no radiation uh, uh, quality and yet very high power density. So this will revolutionize electric engine, ion engine propulsion, which will allow the solar system to open up. You see, these engines are very slow in accelerating things, but once they get up to speed, they're extremely efficient. It will allow the space frontier to expand enormously. And that's just the beginning. Uh, there was another question there. Regarding, he, well, he asked about sample purity. Oh, sample purity. Well, that is a big issue now in some of the systems. Uh, the palladium ones in particular. Pons and Fleischmann had the great misfortune of starting with the most difficult system. Uh, the ones that go today uh, seem to be far more robust, very forgiving. And one would then say, <clears throat> the skeptical person uh, would say, well, since there isn't all that much uh, in the way of sophistication on some of these uh, electrochemical coal fusion systems, why wasn't it seen before? Indeed. Very simple answer. wasn't looked for. No one expected it. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, to the phones again. Wild card line. You're on the air. Hi. Mm -hmm. Hello. Hi. This is uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Dan in Virginia. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, Dr. Malif. Uh, I had a chance to see a demonstration last year in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, there was a group called Better World Technology, mm -hmm. and they had uh, demonstrated what is known as Brown's gas. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I've heard of Brown's gas. In fact, I've recently talked to. Uh, people whom I consider to be very sane, credible engineers who work with Brown's Gas up in Canada. Uh, I had not followed the Brown's Gas issue very much, but uh, they're not claiming in that case over unity, that is more energy out than in. Right. Brown's Gas, which is uh, apparently a very unusual combination of oxygen and hydrogen split from water, in, yes. a, in a special way, right. the flame of this gas has some very unusual properties, apparently. Now, I have not personally tested it. I'm looking forward to testing it uh, in the near future uh, when I see these systems. But what, apparently what, what happens is that uh, the flame, uh, this, this, this amazing flame coming it's out of the It's brighter than the sun. It's it, brighter than the sun. Yes, but uh, the gentleman who I consider to be a very reliable person testified to me personally coming to my laboratory here in New Hampshire, he said, look, you can take this flame and you can draw it across your hand. It will not scorch you. Absolutely. And yet, an inch or two later, it crosses a piece of thin stainless steel. It will cut right through it. Right. Obviously, that's shocking. What? And, what, 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 what? How can that be? It, 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 it just works on, on the... Uh 
my understanding of it is uh, is that it works on the uh, the particular heat temperature of each particular object. Well, let, let's be well clear about something. We do not know how this works. Let's, let's, for the sake of argument, let's say it does work. Okay. Let's say that that demonstration is reality. I would like to see it myself to be absolutely sure of this reality. Oh, sure. All right. I don't believe that it cuts. I won't believe it until I physically see it and measure it. Well, but, for the, but since I have talked now, finally, in only recent weeks, to someone I consider an authority on this, I didn't know about him before, and since he to my face told me that, Gene, yes, it works this way, you can do this. I will, for the sake of uh, suspend disbelief for a few minutes here, say that it works. All right, let's say it does work. How could it work? Okay. Well, uh, let, me, let me make a speculation here and, and tie it in with, with cold fusion. Much of what's happening with cold fusion is quite mysterious. Why there should be nuclear reactions at room temperature is a very big mystery because the nuclei, the positively charged nuclei, of atoms repel each other. That's why we don't see it willy-nilly happening all the time, changes of elements happening right in front of our eyes. So the actual truth is, if I were to try and pin somebody down, they would not be able to answer where this energy comes from. They really couldn't answer no, no. that ultimate question. Okay, we can't. there isn't in the cold fusion community, there is not in the cold fusion community a general agreement as to how to explain the energy source. The general uh, consensus view, however, there is a somewhat of a consensus view on the following point, that it is nuclear reactions, okay, because the nuclear products have definitely been seen. There's absolutely no question about that. So there are nuclear reactions involved. They do not produce intense radiation. That's another thing. So there are really two miracles here. Why is the nuclear reaction occurring at all? Yes. And two, if it is occurring, which of course it is occurring by our uh, evaluation, uh, why is it not producing deadly lethal re radiation the way ordinary hot fusion? Indeed. Is? And that is, we are faced with a double miracle. We're faced with new types of nuclear changes. Now, I would suggest that perhaps, it's just a speculation, perhaps in the case of Brown's gas, ordinary monatomic hydrogen produced somehow in this very unusual and yet simple process goes into the nuclei of other atoms in the metal. For some reason, it doesn't go into the nuclei in your hand easily. But let's say in tungsten or in steel, as I've heard, when it does cut steel quite nicely, uh, it perhaps produces something akin to a nuclear reaction and uh, obviously melts the steel. Now, that's just a speculation, and I don't want to be held to that because I haven't even seen the process itself. All right, Doctor. May yeah. I ask you about one other thing sure. that I've been very curious about? There are a lot of people talking about something called zero-point energy. Yes. An energy that is apparently all around us, mm -hmm. in space, yes. uh, around us as we speak. It is real. It is real? It is definitely real. It has been measured most recently by a researcher who is now at Los Alamos National Laboratory. He was formerly in uh, the state of, uh, of Washington, I believe. Uh, Zero-point energy is no big deal in the sense that it has been part and parcel of ordinary quantum mechanics. That is, there's a, this energy fluctuation in space pervading space, and it can be measured as a force. It can produce a force, these fluctuations in in uh, the quantum level, very much below the size of atoms and particles, does express itself as a force when objects get very close, and that has been measured. Now, what has not been accepted readily 
is that this source of energy could be tapped. That is, it, it could be taken and used because it's sort of like a warm bath. If you have a warm bath, yes. you can't, and, and everything is sort of the equal temperature around you. The, war, the room is warm and the bath is warm and everything is warm. You can't generate electricity with a uniform uh, temperature. That's sort of a law of thermodynamics. So people, by analogy, are quite amazed when you tell them, you know, we might be able to extract some of this energy from space itself. You know, this energy which you say is really there and which has been measured. That, that throws them, because what it looks like then, of course, is a perpetual motion machine. Do you remember, uh, Doctor, when a shuttle mission went up mm -hmm. and released a long tether? Yep. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it was a mishap, mm -hmm. and there was so much energy apparently produced mm -hmm. that it literally burned the tether um, in two. It was an unexpected event, indeed. An unexpected event. Uh, my question is, Doctor, where did that energy come from? Okay. I cannot comment on that particular episode because I'm not well-versed in it. I'd prefer not to. It might have something to do with zero-point energy. It might mm -hmm. not. It might be a very conventional explanation. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is this. I, knew, I do know that there are some excellent technical papers published in the peer-reviewed literature that state there is no objection on fundamental reasons of what we think we know about physics to oppose the idea that we could get energy from the vacuum. Now there are several devices that we've written about in our magazine that other they're patented and they're high quality people. These are not fly by nights, these are not charlatans and they're not self deluded. These people have measured what appears to be electrical power from the vacuum. From the vacuum. They are generating electric power right now. Dr. Paolo and Alexandra Correa have small devices that generate electric power. This goes back, it goes back to Tesla, doesn't it? It does. It's similar to various claims made earlier in the century. I am of the opinion that some of these claims of energy tapping from space are real. Now, if that's true, we own the stars. If cold fusion is just, quote, a nuclear reaction, a benign nuclear reaction, we own the solar system. If zero-point energy is being tapped and producing electric power, uh -huh. we own the stars. We can go to the stars easily at that point. Okay. Well, let me understand something. At the orbital position of the, um, of the shuttle, when mm -hmm. it re released the tether, yes. there was essentially no atmosphere present. In very, other words, they, very, very thin. They were in a vacuum, essentially. Very, very thin. Very, so thin mm -hmm. as to be hardly measurable. Mm -hmm. So to get the amount of electrical energy at the other end of that tether mm -hmm. to blow the fuses, which they did, they blew circuit breakers and everything else as that thing uh, mm -hmm. literally uh, severed itself, mm -hmm. uh, that energy had to, come from, had to come from somewhere. Well, you see, they were relying on, my understanding is, and it's limited at this point, I would like to investigate it more, is that it came from uh, electric fields around the Earth was the in intent to be tapped, okay, the normal magnetic field. Yes, yes. But whether it was more energy coming out than could be accounted for by normal understanding. The motor concept, right? Right. Right. All right, Doctor, hold on. We'll get right back to you. Dr. Eugene Maloff is my guest. I'm Art Bell, and you are listening to the Independent American CBC Radio Network.
taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Once again, here I am. You don't want to miss Good Morning America this morning. Uh, there is going to be a demonstration of a water heater that operates using uh, cold, the cold fusion process or a variation of the cold fusion process or a variation of the Patterson uh, cell process. You don't want to miss it. What is at stake? <laughs> Everything is at stake. So uh, you don't want to miss that. Now, um, my guest is Dr. Eugene Maloff. Uh, doctor, are you there? I am here. All right. Um, on my first time caller line, which means he's paying for the call himself, I've got somebody from Belize in Central America. Wonderful. Um, hello there, sir. You're on the air. You're in Belize, huh? Yeah. Good morning, Art. Good morning, Doctor. I was just listening to your last uh, portion before the break about the tether in space and what kind of energy could have been created there. Uh, we know that something happened, as you were discussing, but what we don't know is why haven't they tried it again to find out what happened? Mm -hmm. Why isn't there any more experimentation with that? Well, I don't know. Um, that's something I really would like to get more in, in, more into. You know, there are so many things happening. It's hard to... Uh, so many anomalies that what one sees when one opens the big blue ones, you uh, begin to realize that many things that uh, you previously thought were on solid ground may not be such as a tether in space, uh, if an anomaly occurred there and an unexpected power burst that conventional electrical theory cannot explain, if that is the case, and I don't know that that's the case, but let's say it is the well, case. Well, uh, it's, it's true, too, that we don't understand electricity to its full extent, but oh, I, I would, it would seem to me that with NASA sending up so many shuttles mm -hmm. on regular missions, mm -hmm. why not try it again? Oh, yes. I, I have to agree, and then there's one more thing. Uh, obviously, they did not expect this result. Whatever engineering they did, they did uh, to be able to try and draw a predicted amount of electricity mm -hmm. and use it. Uh, so whatever occurred was obviously unexpected. That, that would be a fair observation, considering the thing broke in half. Yes, agreed. But why? Why not try it again to see if that oh, same anomaly? Occurs? I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and by the way, what are you doing in Belize? <laughs> I'm an entertainer. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm living in Balmy Mosquito uh, Island down here called San Pedro Ambergris Key. I see. And uh, enjoying it immensely. All right. Well, I thank you very much for the call, and uh, it's well pointed out. And now that I've taken care of that gentleman, uh, Dr. Rest for a moment. We'll be right back to you. All right. Doctor, in this uh, field of fusion, uh, zero-point energy, mm -hmm. um, how much hucksterism is going on? Well... We're in the business of trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. There is a lot of hucksterism going on, and I regret to say that. Of course, it gets confused. The good stuff does get confused, which is why we make a very strenuous effort to separate what we, what we can test and see and have other independent investigation support. But I will tell you this. The bottom line is that there is absolutely no doubt that there are over-unity processes that are of immense importance that will rely on effectively free fuel, such as cold fusion processes that use water as a basis, 
very tiny amounts of fuel being consumed, and other things such as the Korea device in Canada and, and ones that may approach it in their heretical performance, generating electricity, generating over-unity effects from God knows where. By the way, there's a whole other class, which we call cavitation devices. These are devices that produce intense bubbles in water, uh, like the cavitation that you experience on ships' propellers. There's a phenomenon called sonoluminescence, which is the emission of light. Right. As you watch, if you go out, for example, as I do on cruises, and you go out at night, uh, they have great big screws that propel these big cruise ships, and the cavitation process uh, produces a glow in the water behind the ship. Yes. Well, uh, I'm not exactly familiar with the glow behind the ship, maybe the other things involved, but definitely cavitation bubbles produce light emission. And this emission is extremely uh, difficult to explain by ordinary theories. One of the latest theories is that it indeed uh, extracts energy from space. There's some very sane technical papers on that. We personally have tested devices that use cavitation, and they appear to be over unity. Uh, we are hearing about more and more of these uh, that do produce in a very simple system, quite frankly, you know, a spinning rotor with holes in it, for example, um, running at close tolerances, producing more heat output than electric power required to spin the turbine. All right, so when, when real honesty is called for, whichever process we're talking about, of the ones that really do or can be proven to work, mm -hmm. we don't really know why they work. We don't really know where the energy is coming from. But it is real. You see, we have to get back. I understand. I understand. I'm just trying to sure. clarify a point that we oh, don't yeah. really understand where the energy is coming from. Except in the case of cold fusion, uh, it is getting to be pretty clear now that nuclear changes attend them. That is, the nuclear changes are occurring. There's no doubt about it. In fact, yes, yes, I understand that. But yeah. even, even listening to you, right. um, you can't quite fully explain why. Right. There are certain. But you have to understand that we've had many international meetings on coal fusion. There'll be the seventh international one next spring in Vancouver, by the way, April 19th through the 24th. And at these meetings, you have contending theorists within the coal fusion field battling uh, with various ideas. But what they are all in agreement on is that we are dealing with a real subject. This is in contrast to the appalling neglect yeah. the scientific community at large is giving to this subject, which was, of course, launched and masterminded by what ha you'd have to call bigoted scientists, people with vested interests, not only vested interests in hot fusion, by the way, but vested interests intellectually. I'm so sick of vested interests, period. Um, back to the phone lines. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Um, Good morning with Dr. Maloff. Good morning, Mr. Bell. I started to say Dr. Good Bell. Good morning. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, while I was waiting, I have to tell you, waiting to come on the air, when you said, are you overweight, I instantly sucked in my gut. <laughs> I've been fighting the battle of the bulge. I've been meaning to send for that product instead of starving myself out the dust all the time. Okay. <laughs> Doctor, good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, I have two things. Um, first of all, I find it fascinating about this water heater because I recall in the 1950s, when they came out with a new device so they wouldn't explode, that shut-off device. And now it's uh, the water heater once again. 
Well, I don't know what shut-off device you're talking about, and what, what type of energy was were you talking about? Well, the, the water heaters would build up so much heat that they could explode. Oh, yes. And then they developed a, a shut-off valve and reached a certain uh, right. heat level. Certain pressure. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my question, uh, a dear friend of mine was a screenplay writer, Stanley Shapiro, who is now deceased. Mm -hmm. I brought him together with a gentleman in the early 1970s, and he had written a book based on this fellow's theory uh, that uh, Newton's law of gravitational pull could be wrong, that throughout all of the uh, creation, that it could be push. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I've heard that, too. Uh, would you care to comment on that? Uh... Well, let me comment in general about new physics theories. Uh, I think we are indeed faced with, uh, with a emerging fact that all our existing theories don't adequately explain things like cold fusion, right. things like perhaps such as the tether system. And that brings to mind my very good friend, Dr. Uh, Peter Grinot, who's in Massachusetts. He and his son, Neil Grinot, who is in, uh, at Oxford University, they have a, a theory of uh, electrical forces uh, very well considered based on very, very copious experimental evidence that shows that some aspects of electromagnetic behavior are not what they seem at all. They've done experiments which show that there are some very serious contradictions in electromagnetic theory as practiced today. So uh, these longitudinal forces and other things that the Grinots are talking about must be on the table. The point of the matter is we're, we, are, we do not have at this stage of our uh, existence in human civilization, we don't have the final theory. Of course, the physicists, the mainstream physicists with their vested interests, are writing books like The End of Science and The Theory of Everything and so forth, stating that we are pretty close to understanding it all. They're so out to lunch, they don't even know where they are. We can't even, they can't even explain, of course, they're ignoring it completely, tabletop nuclear reactions. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about things that do not fit into the current paradigm. It is an immense paradigm shift. I would say it is about as strong uh, and, and important a paradigm shift in physics as, let's say, the Copernican revolution is was. That's it's going to revolutionize human culture as well, as, as one of our callers, uh, one of your callers are uh, mentioned. All right, well, let me ask the inevitable, and it is uh, from Bridget in Durham, Oregon. Won't the international oilmen slash bankers either refuse to fund cold fusion projects or manage to sabotage them through adverse publicity and worse mm -hmm. unless they can manufacture a method of recouping their losses. Mm -hmm. The oil cartels, the writing is on the wall for them. They're dead. Okay, They're going to be dead. The, oh, their only hope at this point, in my opinion, is to join in and become investors in the whole coal fusion new energy field. You can't beat them, join. You have to, they'll have to. Anyone who does not will be going against the grain. Every once in a while in history, the critical mass of intelligence and data come together as yes. it's come in coal fusion and washes away the old. You're not going to have horse and buggies being the dominant form of transportation when you have automobiles. And you're not going to have trains being the dominant form when you have airplanes. Well, I heard an interesting fact on, of all things, yesterday, the Travel Channel. Uh -huh. They said, do you know that it was just 60 
six years from the time the Wright brothers flew uh -huh. until we first landed on the moon. Yes. Now, that bears a little thought. It does. Uh, and there has not been a similar revolution um, or quickening, if you will, in the development of new technologies like the ones we're talking about. Why? Well, I would say computers, uh, in a way, are. It's crept up on us. You know, in the, the mid-70s, uh, I remember using a slide rule when I was in, at MIT in, in the late 60s. Uh, you know, we didn't expect that on a, sitting on our desktops in only 20 years, we would have computers that are far more powerful than the largest mainframes that existed back then. Right. It kind of crept up on us. Now, this right. thing, is this cold fusion, is crept up on us. Uh, most people have been unaware of it because the uh, mass media and the Department of Energy and the vested academic interests have done an incredible hat hatchet job. But fortunately, thousands of good scientists all over the world have continued working on it. The data is irrefutable. And now commercial enterprises, small uh, commercial enterprises in the U.S., larger ones in Japan, and soon the whole world will be ignited by this. I have no doubt. We're dealing with a real phenomenon. So therefore, it's got to be commercialized. And this is going to change completely the global power structure. Those countries that are completely vested in oil uh, as their main staple are going to suffer uh, very badly. In some cases, I, have, I, I could care less, okay, with those particular countries. We know who they are. But in other cases, we may have a more uh, uh, charitable attitude toward them. It will be too bad. There will be displacement, as any revolution uh, uh, creates. But there will be enormous numbers of new jobs because the entire energy infrastructure of the planet is going to have to change. All right. Well, what can you tell me about, in other words, these large energy and oil companies mm -hmm. have got to clearly at this point see the writing on the wall. So have you begun to see a shift or an interest? Yes. We have seen uh, people in the oil industry coming to us, subscribing to the magazine, among other things, and talking to us. Uh, in fact, some of those oil companies weren't so bad in the early days of Coal Fusion. One, Amoco, uh, actually got positive Coal Fusion results in 1989. They were subsequently published later on. They were actually going to get into it quite deeply, except the Department of Energy created such a stink against Coal Fusion, they were embarrassed to bring out their own work. Well, you know, uh, though, Doctor, here's what I see in my mind's eye, and I'm, I guess maybe I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but I, I see you, Doctor, and people like you mm -hmm. uh, sitting at a, a great big uh, solid oak table mm -hmm. with a big guy down at the other end, probably with a cigar stuffed into his mouth, <laughs> uh, saying, well, this is some damn machine you got here, bud. What I want you to tell me is how do we get a meter on it? Yeah. Well, there isn't going to be a meter. Well, well about the only thing that we'll have, the only way that this will be controlled with meters, in my opinion, yes, the government, in order to maintain its uh, taxation on oil, as it does now, uh, or, and energy in general, will have to put some kind of, will try to put a tax on the machines themselves as they come off the production line, something of this sort. Uh -huh. But there's not going to be any meter. This is completely going to overwhelm any attempt to control it. No meter. Up, yeah. no, no meter. No meter. Because, no meter. you know, we're not going to have power lines coming into the house. They're going to be self-contained electric generators in small complexes, perhaps, or in just a home. Individual homes will have their own electricity generation. People will be able to place their homes anywhere they want, irrespective of the grid. 
And we're going to have to have a whole change in our philosophy. Well, then, sir, as the network anchor was told in the movie network, you are tampering with the basic forces of nature. We are. And somebody is going to bury you. Not going to happen. There are thousands of people now who know this reality. Okay? This is a reality. It's... By the way, it's been in a movie. I was proud to be the advisor to the Saint movie, which uh, featured Cold Fusion as a theme. It's fiction in the movie, but the reality is that it's there. Yeah, but today, even today, Doctor, people are saying, uh, based on the negative publicity over the years, Cold Fusion just isn't real. Well, they're saying it, but these are hollow words. Uh, they are the, the critics of Cold Fusion are quite amazing. To the, uh, they are like Wile E. Coyote. They've gone off the cliff already. They're spinning their legs. They're laughing and smiling. But they're about to uh, plunge down a mile or so and be destroyed forever. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. There's no doubt about it. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Meloff. Hi. Hi. I'm, I'm discussing with vested interest and conflict of interest, too. And not being a scientist, I can't confirm uh, uh, this revolutionary uh, cold fusion. But I think uh, just as important area of investigation would be what you brought into this. This whole idea that uh, powerful uh, uh, interest, even even smaller interest, like $30 million of a, of a grant, yeah. can uh, suppress uh, exactly. a, a revolutionary new uh, development. And I think from that, I was reading an extra magazine, which is put out by FAIR, how, uh, because I think this is all interdisciplinary, and how, uh, for instance, this uh, story that came out uh, got a similar type of hatchet job about the CI contra involvement in drug smuggling. Time Magazine's uh, senior editor told their own research uh, uh, a reporter who came up with the, the same evidence of a Contra CI drug smuggling. We're not gonna, we're gonna kill your story about Contra drug smuggling because we institutionally support the Contras. We, uh, we, we are committed to the Contras. Well, though, yeah, you could, look, you, you you're, you're all way off into another subject, sir, but, right. uh, the fact of the matter is that the, uh, San Jose Mercury began backing away from the story that, uh, caused all the controversy, and if you don't believe me, check into it. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Meloff. Hi. Hi. I'm calling to find out if there's any way to convert uh, some of the nuclear waste out there into uh, running uh, to run cars with. Well, we're not going to use nuclear waste to run cars, but we are with coal fusion now with the new processes that have been have been discovered as a result of it. We're going to be able to very cheaply, uh, as the years emerge here, uh, reduce and eliminate nuclear waste. We're going to be able to change it into into very benign forms. This is completely heretical. Radioactivity is not supposed to change by anything you do to it with, say, temperature or um, it electricity. Has, it, it has a, a specific decay period, yep. uh, which is horrendously long. Right. We can barely plan 40 years in the future, much, much <laughs> less tens of thousands of years. Right. And they're telling us we're going to have to safely store this crap for tens of thousands of years next to me. No, thank you. My, my feeling is this. I think that the revolution against, against what happened to coal fusion, the final political awareness that something must be done to reinvestigate the Department of Energy and uh, let heads roll at the Department of Energy, it may come from this nuclear waste issue. Because let's face it, folks in Nevada do not want this nuclear waste dump uh, dumped in their neighborhood. No, we don't. And they shouldn't have to deal with it because now the Department of Energy, just like in 89, it was faced with an issue. Is this real or not? Well, then they chose to have a kangaroo court and, and they thought they got rid of it, but you can't get rid of something that's real. So they failed. 
Now we have another anomaly that you're going to see in a few hours, we trust, if the schedule's correct, on Good Morning America. We're going to have nationally televised evidence that there is a, a method, a benign, simple, cheap method of getting rid of nuclear waste. Now, if congressmen and citizens do not raise holy hell in Washington and say, we're not sure this is real, but you damn well better investigate. You better damn well find out. How about that? Right. Uh, doctor, look, we're at a break point. I can Good. use you one more hour if you want it. I'll take it. You'll take it. You've got it then. All right. Dr. Uh, Eugene Maloff is my guest. Are you listening? Do you understand the implications of what's being said here about energy, about what we're doing to ourselves, about what we can do with this high-level stinking waste? We'll be right back. see if this makes sense. Uh, dear Art and uh, uh, Dr. Maloff, um, NASA deployed a 20-meter conducting tether from the shuttle to measure and use the motion through the Earth's magnetic field, they say, to generate power through inductance. At 20.0 meters, at the velocity of 250 meters per second, and using the downward component of the magnetic force of the field, they should have conducted only 0 0.30 volts. They got much more. Um, so I agree with that caller. Um, I cannot understand why we have not yet done it again. Right. If, or could it be because of the fact they got so much more that um, it has revealed something that they don't really want revealed yet? Uh it's possible. The most. Uh, let, let's just take the facts uh, as the um, uh, listener uh, presented them. Let's take take those facts as a given uh, for the sake of argument. Uh -huh. um, if a, a very unexpected voltage and current appeared, it would. My my understanding now that I've seen the, how the cold fusion controversy emerged, I would I would expect a similar thing. A controversy would erupt within NASA over what happened, and there would be blame assigned and so forth. There would be various attempts to cover responsibility, etc. And uh, stupidity and an incompetence uh, and uh, not so much greed or desire to conceal a, a new discovery would, would come into play, but an attempt to uh, basically cover their behinds uh, as to why this failed. Um, you see, when, when conventional scientists observe some new phenomenon, unlike what they normally pronounce, they normally say, oh, we want to see new things because anomalies are what energizes science and expands the frontiers. That's not true. Most scientists do not want to see new things because it upsets them. Nothing that would explode their little theory. Uh, exactly. Would, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, for example, the, 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 the classic example is Professor Hermann Feschbach at MIT. Um, back in 1991, shortly before I resigned from MIT over various matters, including the fudging of the, the anti-cold fusion data, um, I had an article that was going to appear in MIT Technology Review. It was going to be on uh, the cold fusion 
evidence as it existed back then. It was approved by one of the uh, former editors of the Technology Review magazine. Right. But a few weeks later, after getting word that it was approved, I heard from this editor, this spineless former editor. He said, um, I'm not, we're not going to publish it. And I said, what are you talking about? You told me it was going to be published. It was going to be a cover story. And? And uh, he finally revealed uh, the nature of uh, who had uh, deep-sixed it. It was a physics professor, Professor Feshbach, among others, but he was the primary one. And I called him up, not expecting a change, but he was I had never heard from him, never talked to him before. And I asked him why he was rejecting this, why he was recommending it not be uh, published, and it never was published. Uh, he said, look, I've had 50 years of experience in nuclear physics, and I know what's possible and what's not possible. Well, I said, Professor Feshbach... Would you at least agree to read the summary of the cold fusion evidence as it stood in 1991 yes. uh, by Dr. Storms of Los Alamos National Laboratory and yes. also Dr. Srinivasan yes. of the uh, Bob Atomic Research Center in India? They've reviewed the evidence. They would like you to look at it and uh, make your own conclusion from it. Pure he said, I, I will not look at this evidence. Oh. It's all junk, and he hung up. Then about five years later, he got on national television, on Nightline. Uh, no, it was Good Morning America, I believe, at the time. And um, when asked about the Patterson cell, he said, look, I have no, no knowledge of this Patterson cell. I don't know what it is. I don't have any experience with it. But I can assure you that there were no nuclear reactions in it. So it was very similar to the church back in 19, back in uh, 1600, who said, "Look, we're not going to look through the telescope. We know our theories of the universe and Aristotle and so forth yes. state that the heavens are perfect. We're not going to see craters on the moon, blah blah." Uh -huh. And so we don't want to see anything that would spoil that theory. Right. Mm -hmm. So 400 years later, That's great. We we see the same thing. Mm -hmm. Science hasn't changed. It First hasn't. time caller line, uh, you are on the air with uh, Dr. Malov. Hi. Good morning. And How do you I'd do? I like have a couple questions for you. Sure. My name is Richard from Tennessee. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, first uh, off is uh, how soon do you think it would be before the average person could build one or buy one of these things, and how much would it cost? All right, that's an awfully good question. Let's let's not go with the build part. Let's go with the when is somebody going to put a water heater like you're about to see on ABC's uh, Good Morning America this morning? When is somebody going to put that on the market? There are two answers to that question. One has to do with what could be done if the resources were there and an engineer, crack engineering team were involved. The other is practicalities of the money situation and the development and politics and all that. Politics, all right. Okay. Well, if there were a crack team, if there were a crack team and the proper resources applied to this problem right now, okay, my opinion is that we would have a home heating unit for the next heating season, that is this coming fall, without question. Wow. Without question, okay? I have zero question about that okay. based on what we know. Now, if you're talking about the practicalities of how is little company A... Uh, 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 dealing with this and investments and licenses and all this other business yes. and the way the Department of Energy Act and the way regulations might be employed to suppress this, not suppress it, but Slow to it delay up. it. Delay yeah. it. Mm -hmm. okay. For example, the first thing they're going to say is, let's say the water heater is available for next, or the, the home heating system and, uh, is available for, ne for next heating season. Let's imagine what will happen. 
the first thing that will happen is the Department of Energy will say, well, we, we, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission must be involved to uh, assess whether this is a danger, because now you're saying it's nuclear and we... Uh, well, now have... that, that would be an interesting admission in right. itself, wouldn't it? Right. If they, if, in fact, it would be... I would actually love it if they would say, well, we I must th regulate this now, because that would... Would, would, uh, would say a real. nuclear reaction is underway. Right. Now, then there would be an, an uh, uh, unbelievable demand by, hopefully, the citizens of the United States, who would say, all right, we agree it's nuclear, everyone agrees it's real, why is it being slowed down? We know we're going to immediately begin to shave the balance of payments, trade deficit, and uh, the pollution and everything else. Why can't we be at least reasonably satisfied based on the fact that we have radiation instruments monitoring this and we're not seeing radiation coming out? We see no deadly effects. The people who have been working on this for years are not getting sick. Why can't we have this now? And the answer might be, I regret to say, might be, well, we don't know what it is yet. We better ban it for a while or study it. <laughs> and the oil companies then, yes. stupid as they are, may uh, participate in that kind of nonsense. It would give them, let's say, a few more years of uh, uh, polluting the planet with their, uh, their oil. So, unrealistically, next heating se uh, season, yep. re realistically, years and years, Colin? No, no, no. I hope. I'm an optimist in this. Despite the fact that I've been, uh, and we've all in the coal fusion field, been terribly abused and neglected by this, this uh, outrageous performance of uh, places like MIT, Caltech, and the Department of Energy. The following heating season, Doctor? The following heating season, I'm a, well, I'm a, no, I'm optimistic. I'm not saying we're going to have these home heating units this, this heating season. I'm saying in the next several years, okay. several meaning two, three years, I hope by then, since the processes are now so advanced, I hope we do have these home prototype units that are completely reliable, ready for mass production. Okay. So that, that would be a very big step. All right, caller, does that answer your question? Yes, one more uh, a comment, I guess. I think you put a tax on it one year at a time. I don't know. To, I don't want to be taxed at all. Yeah, I know, Frankly, the free energy, that, this free freedom that we're going to have, but it's kind of like the free information that we have. We now have virtually free information. Correct. Despite the fact that we have small charges for web oh, access. Oh, yeah, but they're busily trying to figure oh, out yeah. ways to tax it, and they're talking about a uh, per bit tax uh, yep. over modems. Yep, I know, but I don't think the people are going to stand for that, uh, frankly, but if, I hope they don't stand for it. We have virtually free information. Now we're going to enter the age of virtually free or essentially free energy. Everything's going to be retrofit. We're going to go into an era of uh, dramatically reduced pollution, I trust. I hope. Uh, and, and by the way, by the way, may I stop you there? Um, you have looked into such things. Doctor, I am convinced... That our weather is in the process of a change that I'm not particularly pleased with. Mm -hmm. um, environmentally, I see a lot of things going on that I'm not pleased with. The ozone hole, mm -hmm. uh, holes, I guess, plural now. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things are beginning to go on that are adding up to trouble for us. Uh, if we continue on our present course, do you agree with that? Uh, I, I have a limited agreement with that. Let me just state... Uh, uh, I've studied, for example, the CO2 controversy. It's qu quite an interesting controversy, uh -huh. uh, sort of the opposite of the coal fusion controversy. Yes. In my opinion, we humans uh, living in the, the latter part of the uh, 20th century have a very limited 
a range of experience vis-a-vis weather and climate. Sure. Uh, there have been huge changes in climate over the eons that uh, the planet has been around. We know that, yes. And, you know, I'm very fond of talking with a prof- people like Professor Richard Lindzen at MIT, who's a heretic on the matter of the CO2 global warming business. He says, look, we can't be absolutely sure of what, whether warming is occurring or not, but uh, we do not have to have hysteria about it, okay? So he would sort of toss that into the, que- the area of he doesn't really believe it, but it's a, it's a question that is open. Now, my perspective on it is this. I think it could be real or it could not be real. But furthermore, I will say that the basic assumption of all these uh, doomsday scenarios with respect to global warming is that carbon dioxide will continue to build up. That's because we thought there's no other way of generating electricity or heating homes. Exactly. Now we have the rug pulled out completely from that scenario. Yes. We have the very, very real opportunity to eliminate that inexorable climb of the CO2 concentration in the atmosphere. Well, so, it's, it's somewhat academic anyway, since mm-hmm. uh, it is my understanding that in about 40 years, mm-hmm. um, we will exhaust present supplies of uh, readily available petroleum. That's generally agreed, but you know there's some new theories about even that. You know, there's the deep earth gas theory of Tommy Gold of uh, Cornell, and there's some evidence for it that states the following: the Earth may be saturated with primordial uh, methane. Okay, and Gold has been right about many things in the past. He's a very brilliant man. So in theory, there might be an, an almost inexhaustible source of methane, and he even goes further. He says okay. that uh, oil is not really biogenic. It didn't come uh, exclusively from fossil decay. Right. It, it was produced within the earth. All so right. in some sense, that might not be true. But certainly, we all have to agree, as the population of the earth expands, we cannot realistically continue to burn fossil fuels. You can just see it in the cities. Numerous tens of thousands of deaths every year occur, we believe, due to small particulates in the atmosphere. Oh, look, there's no question about it. I was in uh, Bangkok a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, if you think our air pollution is bad, try Bangkok for a day. <laughs> and about 40% or more mm-hmm. of the traffic cops have fatal lung disease. Wow. Uh, so I don't I need it anymore. It. Well, you can believe it. It's true. Wildcard Line, uh, you're on the air with Dr. Eugene Maloff. Hi. Yes, Keith in San Diego. Yeah, I do. call about the, uh, I sent a paper about the reverse concept of gravity. No push instead of pull. Basically, gravity be created by every other mass on mm-hmm. any two masses rather than the two masses creating a force that curves around and comes back with a stronger force. Mm-hmm. Space wouldn't be just a big vacuum where the universe wouldn't be, it'd be huge, massive forces. Uh, were, you, were you on earlier, caller? Uh, not today, no. Right. Okay. We have another caller here who's speculating about theory. Same thing, yeah. For the year, they come up with a reverse concept of right. gravitational push rather than pull at the beginning right. of the year. All right, but uh, all right, uh, regardless of uh, whether it's a, a push or a pull, um, the questions that we're, I don't think it bears on the questions that no. we're dealing with here, no. does it? it? It doesn't really, but there are, I must tell you, uh, in addition to the main question of, not, not question, in addition to the issue of what physics 
will explain cold fusion or zero-point energy tapping and the like. Uh, I must tell you that there are, are other anomalies that, that I now take much more seriously within physics, such as potentially observed anti-gravity effects on, mag on, ma on magnets and superconductors. There have been reports of this. We've re recounted some of them in infinite energy. But, you know, we, we really must get back to basics in science. I think this, in fact, by the way, may be the, one of the most important aspects of the cold fusion revolution. Indeed, cleaning up the planet, providing cheap and abundant energy, that's important. But perhaps the other most important aspect, which isn't often considered here, the establishment, as a result of this, is going to suffer such an incredible uh, embarrassment to its uh, credibility, that is the scientific establishment, mm -hmm. that many other heretical concepts, which should be investigated, they're not necessarily true, but they at least should be investigated, will, I think, take on greater importance. The people are going to say, if you guys in the scientific establishment, with all the billions of dollars we gave you, if you could create such a disaster as eliminating from the agenda of science and the Department of Energy this miraculous discovery for eight years, what else have you screwed up? Oh, you bet. Once lied to uh, uh, twice shy or something or another. Anyway... This is pretty heavy stuff. We're discussing the future of our planet and the people on it. No less. And also that nasty waste that we're getting ready to store right next to me. I have great interest in that. We'll be right back. This is CBC. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. Good morning from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. Okay, I've got an interesting text here from Sean David Morton, who's been a guest on this program. Uh, doctor, let me read this to you and see if you can add anything to it or maybe uh, slam it down. Uh, last year, I met a scientist that was on his way back from a meeting in Geneva. He said a group of 150 scientists met to study a very serious ongoing problem. He said that the process underway, the China Syndrome, as you will, nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl, had now eaten 800 feet down through the planet, was headed toward a huge underground aquifer, a sea, he called it. He said that when the nuclear material hit the water, 
at about 2,400 feet, it would, would either explode or cause a crater five miles deep and 140 miles wide or would poison much of the Russian and European water supply. He said this would happen by 2004. Uh, do you have any information on this or any ideas on a solution well, how, of all, how to stop it? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm not sure it's, uh, this is a, a valid report. Second, well, as soon as I heard a crater five miles wide or deep, did I hear? And yes. Okay. Uh, essentially impossible. We're talking about fissionable material that's there, and I don't know whether it's migrating or falling or whatever it's doing, uh -huh. but an atomic bomb, a fission bomb... Would not do that. Would not do that. A fusion bomb, a thermonuclear weapon, would have trouble making a crater five miles deep without being perfected. Okay. So I hardly think that the fissionable material that may still, that does still exist, obviously, within Chernobyl, and I don't know whether it's migrating or not migrating, uh, could ever cause a catastrophe of that sort. Not to say that Chernobyl is not a very, very serious problem. Uh, I know the containment is rapidly deteriorating. Yeah, that could be. I, I'm not up on the latest with it. I don't want to prejudge anything about what may be leaking out. This could be uh, perhaps an exaggeration of of, of uh, a more limited problem, but it is certainly not going to explode and create a, a you know multi-mile crater. All right, so that, 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 that part you would rule out. Oh, yes. uh, obviously, though, if this very hot material hit very cold water, there would be very serious consequences. There could be steam pressures and so forth. Yes, it's a serious matter. Uh, the, the, the fact is, we. Uh, by the way, I supported nuclear power, not that kind of nuclear power. The Russian kind of reactors are terribly uh, dangerous. Uh, dangerous. We all acknowledge that at this point. But, but uh, the, the, the reactors in the U.S., by and large, very safe. And uh, before the advent of coal fusion, I would have said that we need more nuclear power, even though it was politically untenable. But I would say this at this well, point... That's really still true today, isn't it? In other words, cold fusion at its best is not ready to replace uh, nuclear power plants. No, it is not, but it, it could very quickly. Okay, you see, we have to use the... I would use the paradigm of aviation and I would use the paradigm of the computer. Now, one, may, many of your listeners may not be aware that between 1903 and 1908, the Wright brothers were flying in broad daylight in Ohio, and they were still dismissed by the establishment. Scientific American, the major Eastern media, major all media, right. refused to acknowledge they had uh, did it, they had done it. Okay, but of course, what happened was once the technology began to be believed, as it did in 1908 after a demonstration in Fort Myers, Virginia. It was a rapid scale-up, and we have a very uh, quick introduction of the airplane into World War I and then into commercial service. Uh, computers, uh, personal computers in particular, and even large-frame computers, came up in the century very rapidly in a very unexpected way and have obviously revolutionized everything. So I believe that once the first cold fusion devices break through into the marketplace, and I think that can happen. In the then the acceleration years. will be rapid. It will be very rapid. What we have to do is get beyond, what we're at, at now is the, state, the stage of disbelief. And if I may say, the most critical thing that people in the state of Nevada could do would be to demand, I mean demand, of their representatives that a, an investigation be made about the ability of the coal fusion process to remediate nuclear waste 
which obviously affects them on a very personal basis. Yes. Okay, there should be holy hell uh, raised in the state of Nevada. Starting there, the coal fusion revolution will spread everywhere. They then, you see, by accepting the fact, as they will rapidly find out when they observe this process and have it validated, that must imply by its very nature that the coal fusion heat process is also real. Sure. All right, Doctor, have... Doctor, I have a question for you. Sorry. We have massive amounts of nuclear waste yes. presently generally being stored mm -hmm. uh, in, um, um, in, in water below the reactors yes. uh, and in some cases even above ground. Mm -hmm. Now, how quickly, uh, how efficiently, if it began to work, could cold fusion begin to eat this stuff up? Well, my based on what I've seen already of the data of two independent companies now doing this very same thing, okay? Yes. They can do it with thorium and uranium. There is no reason why it couldn't happen with the other radionuclides, the, the ones that are less massive. There's no reason at all. In fact, in the latest issue of Infinite Energy, we have a theoretical discussion of exactly how that could be done. So my assumption is, if there were, if there were a team of good scientists and engineers put to work on this, hell, the process could go to work uh, almost immediately. In other words, what they would have to do, of course, is get it beyond the laboratory scale to a, to an industrial process. I, I understand you're saying it could the process. Very quickly. I understand you're saying the process could ensue quickly. I'm asking how quickly. Would it actually begin oh. to consume uh, substantial quantities of high-level waste? Uh, well, the sheer volume of it, I don't know the exact volume of all the high-level waste. Not sure any of but, us do. Right. But it is not so immense, given the, str the power of nuclear power, that uh, it, it is not uh, uh, unthinkable that it could be eaten up in fairly short order. Uh, it's our guessing off the top of my head, just the top of my head. If sure. the process were commercialized and were put into appropriate activation, I wouldn't see why, um, again, this is a guess, a, a, sort of a, an intellectual uh, imagining here as an engineer. Yes. Um, per perhaps in a decade it could all be eliminated. A decade. All right. Yeah. You know, our senators um, have been doing their dead-level best uh -huh. to get this high-level uh, waste dump uh, diverted and out the hell out of Nevada. Right. Um, I would suggest they contact you. Have you had any contact with them? No. The co the co there are several congressmen, the, congress the former Congressman Walker, of the uh, former of the South, uh, South, the House Science Space Committee, a uh, very influential man. Uh, he, in Popular Science 1985, acknowledged that coal fusion was real. He acknowledged that. Okay? There is a prestigious congressman. Of course, he's now retired and, do, and doing nothing for this, it seems to me. We have no support at the presidential and vice presidential level. We have, um, occasionally we hear from a, a uh, we, we will approach a congressman or a senator and get some nice winks from them, but that's about it. That's These people nice. are out to lunch. But the, thing, the, the, the fact is, you have in Nevada the key linchpin of this entire problem which is why I'm so glad I'm on your program. If you could possibly get these Nevadan congressmen and governors and citizens of Nevada to demand an investigation of what they are about to see on national television, and which I could, I, I will go anywhere, any place, believe me, to convince them 
that we are dealing with a reality here. Okay, I will show them the data. Okay, I will tell them why I believe it's true. I will have them talk to the very lab people who did the tests. We will demonstrate it right before their very eyes if that needs to be, if, if national television isn't good enough. And we can then start the whole process rolling of reinvestigating this outrageous report of 1989. All right. Uh, on Good Morning America, the segment that is going to air uh, this morning, mm -hmm. uh, will there be discussion of the uh, high-level nuclear waste problem as it is associated to the cold fusion process, or are they going to just demonstrate the cold fusion process? Do you know? No, I, I do know. If uh, the program airs this morning, as I trust it will, yes. uh, okay, there, will be a t there should be a time-lapse portrayal, a point out a portrayal, an actual experiment conducted on the premises of the Clean Energy Technology Corporation in Sarasota, Florida, a time-lapse showing that the Geiger counter readings on the cell lower substantially over a period of hours. Now, there was more data that was shown on a chart form back down in the, at the American Nuclear Society meeting where we had a session on this, and it was quite clear to me that Dr. Patterson had uh, accumulated remarkable evidence of the decrease. So, yes, it will be portrayed on national television. Good. And I hope that they will, they, they obviously must uh, uh, refer to the uh, waste problem. How could they not? If they I, didn't, I, I can only hope that they um, adequately explain the implications for a public that's pretty numb, mm -hmm. frankly, um, what's at stake here. First time caller line, you're on the air um, with Dr. Eugene Malif. Hi. Hello. 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 Yes, uh, Doctor, this. Uh, is a great uh, experience for me to be on uh, the air with Art and you uh, mm -hmm. talking about such significant changes that are coming about in this area. Are you aware of Mr. Joseph Newman and oh, yeah. his theory of gyroscopic particles? Right. Yes, I'm indeed. I'm very sorry to mispronounce yes. that. Right. That's right. I am familiar with Joseph Newman. In fact, I recently met him at the Fourth International the New Energy Symposium in Denver. Uh, Joseph Newman was seriously abused by the system. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, he should have been granted a patent. There was clear evidence that uh, he had a, an important process. How real it was remains still remains somewhat of a mystery to me. Uh, we did write an article about him and his travails. Um, I respect him. I think uh, my own humble opinion is that he was so abused by the system that he kind of went off the deep end a bit and got very angry and is kind of being, in a way, his own worst enemy today. But I wish him well. Uh, one thing I know for sure, his theory, um, w whether right or wrong, uh, in my own opinion, I'm not so sure about it, but I'm sure he would be very sure about it. Um, I do believe that other devices are ratifying what he said. Mm -hmm. uh, that is at least well, you ratifying the performance. You can understand uh, the frustration that would finally drive somebody off the deep end. You can understand that. Oh, I can. Uh, no matter whether the process was uh, a real or not. Right. All right. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Malov. Hi. Hello, uh, Art. Uh, Dr. Malov, I really enjoyed the conference in Denver, mm -hmm. and uh, I certainly agree that uh, uh, Newman's presentation there was disturbing because of his uh, experience. But uh, a couple of the uh, things that I picked up there uh, that were most interesting to me 
was the information from uh, Dr. John Moreland about the history yes. of these actions uh, back going back to Liban's work uh, in 1907, 1908. Absolutely. As far as, far as the physics and uh, radioactivity are concerned. Right. They're, they're apparently what this uh, caller is, is bringing to the fore. Uh, we, we keep encountering very unusual new anomalies, or resurrecting old ones, should I say. There was a, a fellow by the name of T. Henry Moray who allegedly had a rather powerful electric generator, was witnessed by many people, and then it sort of disappeared. Uh, many people have had these things kind of disappear. But now, <clears throat> with, with hindsight, physicists are looking into this, good people like Moreland, and they're finding that uh, in all likelihood, these people had these things. And, and the particular units that we're talking about used radioactive materials, radium, to create electricity directly. My understanding is this summer at the Tesla Symposium in, in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, uh, Brown, uh, uh, Dr. Brown will be there uh, to demonstrate a 200-watt electric generator based on this radioactive material. We'll see. Uh, but it clearly, there's a patent position on it. There are past reports of Moray and so forth. Most fascinating. Thanks for bringing it up. All right. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Meloff. Hi. Good morning, Art and good, Dr. Meloff. Good morning. My, name, my name's Stephanie, and I'm from Gentryville, Indiana. Okay. And uh, the reason why I'm calling is my husband and I have been using a corn burning stove for approximately eight years. Corn burning? Corn burning. Mm -hmm. Just shelled corn. Okay. And um, we think this is a great idea that uh, about the cold fusion and the heating. Would that, that also work on air conditioning? Oh, sure. And, you know, right. I'm sorry. Absolutely. And, any uh, energy source. You see, any, any energy source is capable of doing, uh, ultimately, of course, what any other one is doing, uh, except, of course, solar power and wind power are very weak in many respects and have to obey the rotation of the earth and whether the sun is out and the weather and so forth. But cold fusion is very compact. Now, you bring up corn burning. We have, um, we have encountered some rather interesting new work on biomass that was used uh, in underwater arcs. That is, a, a company out in Colorado is quite literally dissolving organic materials in water, mm -hmm. and they are creating electric arcs underwater with this and producing a gas. Now, the gas has very unusual properties. It appears from our testing, from their testing so far, that more energy is coming out of that process in the gas than is going in in the form of electricity. That's a preliminary assessment. So, so you know, as strange as it sounds, the, uh, since cold fusion we know is real, um, it is not out of the question that some of these very simple systems like carbon arcs underwater themselves are producing anomalous energy. Um, we have seen excellent evidence that the carbon arcs are producing transmuted elements, so huh. we have to watch them very carefully. These so all sound very similar. Yep. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, in other words, you have a process, mm -hmm. you have more energy than you should have, yep. Yep. nobody can figure out where it comes from. That's if good. I had to make a bet, I'd be betting that it's all coming from the same source, which, of course, I have no idea what it is, but... Uh, um, Perhaps Richard Hoagland does. Well, it might be related. Richard Hoagland, I know a good friend of mine, is uh, of the opinion that it is some kind of hyperdimensional, or I would call it zero-point energy source. Exactly. Uh, it may be. 
My own feeling is that it could well be that the zero-point energy is somehow mediating these nuclear reactions. It may be the case. Exactly. But what we have to get absolutely clear in people's minds is theories are wonderful and interesting, but the most important thing of all is the reality of the experiments and the reality of the commercialization. That's the key. I agree. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Maloff. Hi. Hi, this is Chris in Fairbanks, Alaska. Hi, Chris. Hey, I'll be seeing the package I was talking to you about, Art, later on this month. All right. And my questions are, Dr. Mallet, are there any books or um, information that we can research to learn more about this so we can conduct some experiments on our own? How about his website, for one? Okay. And Good. can we write to you and have you, you know, if we got an idea, we're working on it, can we write to you and send what Certainly. we're doing? All right, all right. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we're at the end of the time anyway, Doctor. Uh, how would you like people to communicate? Email, writing, calling, what? Oh, everything, but let's give a post office box out, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Okay, it's post office box 2816 in Concord, New Hampshire, 03302. But, of course, we also have a fax, which is 603-224-5975. We're glad to try to answer your questions or send you information. All right, uh, that would be P.O. Box 2816 in Concord, New Hampshire, 03302. 02, and your fax number is area code 603-224-5975, correct? Absolutely. All right, and everybody listening should be watching ABC's Good Morning America as they're going to bring out a, a water heater yep. that's been operating now for some months mm -hmm. um, using cold fusion. That is correct. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely yeah, amazing. It, it is going to happen. Uh, we'll just put the little caveat on that, of course, you know, TV schedules are subject to change, but we have had no information that it will not be today. Uh -huh. We were told that it was going to be today, and I trust that it will be. But if it's, if by some remote chance it's I know. not a It all depends on the news. Right. Doctor, I thank you. It has been a wonderful time on the air, and we will have you back again. Thank you so much, Art. Good night. That's Dr. Eugene Meloff, Editor-in-Chief of Infinite Energy Magazine. They are not minor stakes, are they? Well, I thank you all, and uh, in some markets, we will be back with more in a moment. In other markets, it's good night. I'm Art Bell, and this is CBC. Taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295.
First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Open lines just ahead. Good morning, everybody. Isn't it funny how old songs come back to haunt you? Would you like to take her breath away? I know how. All right, we are going to open line to now. Anything you want to talk about is fair game. It's up to you. Uh, so if you have something on your mind, um, that is what this hour is going to be devoted to. Tomorrow night, uh, we're going to be talking to Jim Mars, who has authored a very, very controversial book called Alien Agenda. I'm sure that many of you have heard about it. If not, you certainly will tomorrow night. You're not going to want to miss that. Jim Mars and Alien Agenda. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm fine. I have to apologize for my uh, pick of Silver Charm. Uh, well, uh, you missed that one, but true to form, I didn't go bet, so ha, 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 ha. Well, I think that the other horse cheated anyway. It was illegal drafting. What, what, what was the other horse's name? Gold, gold? Touch, touch Gold. Touch Gold, that's it. That he was cheated. It, he gold. was drafting. Yeah, right. Drafting well, around the corner there. You can't win them all. But uh, my unofficial prediction that I had on your prediction show, my real prediction is number 71, which hasn't occurred yet but will. My unofficial, unofficial prediction, excuse me, I'm having trouble speaking this morning. Uh-huh. My unofficial prediction was that you would be simulcast on TV and na-na-na-na-na, you are now. <laughs> well, your, uh, well, well. Hey, 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 don't well, even hot me, Bubba. Yeah. You know I got you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, we will review that one, uh, of course, at the end of the year. Simulcast on TV, not quite simulcast, but it's pretty damn close. Close enough uh, to call that a ding, 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 ding. No question about it. Uh, it is the the cams that I have set up in here. It was kind of a joint effort. Uh, Keith Rowland uh, acquired some software. I had the capture cards and the video and all the rest of it. I got it set up with a sequencer and. As a matter of fact, I've got a little Chiron generator that I'm going to get attached to all this in the next week or so, and we're going to keep expanding the capability, and the Chiron generator will allow me to put little messages up there in the photograph for you. So I'm going to have more fun with this than anybody ought to be allowed to have. It is kind of neat. There's no question about it. This technology is nothing short of absolutely amazing. If you go to my website... There I will be doing my radio program. Now, for how long this will be interesting, I don't know. Frankly, whether I would be interested in watching some guy do a radio program, or, uh, I, I don't know. I can't tell you that I would. It's just something that we are trying. And we're always trying new things, and I think when you stop trying new things, uh, you begin to atrophy. So I'm all for it and we will continue to use it for as long as you like it, and we will continue 
no doubt to improve it. And one day, yes, I'm sure the web will deliver real-time video along with the audio. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, um, this is Julie from Washington State. Hello, Julie. Hi, how are you? Fine. Good. I was curious, as I was listening the other night when you had the guy on about the, um, the reversals. Yes. And I was wondering possibly when they, he might be back on, because we were listening, and I was absolutely baffled by some of the stuff that was on. Well, we just had him on, so I can't answer that question. Uh, of course, uh, David will be back, uh, but I can't give you a date now. You can't give me a date now, huh? No, of course not. I just had him on, so. I know, but it was just, I don't know, some of the stuff, that, the, some of the reversals and stuff that he had on from NASA was quite interesting. Interesting? Very interesting. Uh, I, I would use a different word. But, yes, it was, and, yes, he'll be back. Uh, that was probably his fourth or fifth appearance on the program. Really? I just now, actually, I just now heard about it, and I just was listening, and it was, it, it struck me. I understand. Yes. So I would very much like to hear him again. All right. Your request is registered. Okie dokie. Well, thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Take care. David John Oates. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning, Art. Did you get that email I sent you on a parody of you and... Lord's Prayer? No. Um, now, I haven't looked at my email. I didn't have time before I went on the air, so I'm sure it's awaiting. Right. Okay. I just wanted to say hi to you this morning. I'm trying to, I'm trying to log back on the Internet to get listen to your show right now, and I can't log on, so that's why I'm trying to call you, but I wasn't sure. I'll, I'll try to log back on so I can hear you. All right. Bye. Take care. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air. Good morning. KQMS, Redding, California. There you are. Here I am. Hey, you know, just for that guy that uh, picked Silver Charm and blew it, because yeah. I know he's listening, this is the quickening. Anything could happen. You could show up to my house for dinner. <laughs> Anyways, um, right. did, you pay, did you watch the news, NBC News? Uh, last night? Let me see. Did I? No, I think I watched CNN last night. Well, Tom Brokaw was interviewing some guy, and he was making comments about... Um, racism and how we should conduct ourselves in American society and stuff like that. And actually, he really pissed me off because I can't... One of the things he said was that we should not be proud of our race and that it's wrong. And I, you know what? Ancestor worship is part of my spiritual heritage. So how can I not be proud of my race? I'm not sure they're exactly the same thing. Well, you know, I understand the gist of what he's saying, but he's... he's I understand realistic. what he's saying, too, and he's full of it. Uh, I have no problem. You know what? You know what? Look at all. There's millions of kinds of species of animals. Don't you think humans are the same? There's all kinds of different humans. Big mm -hmm. deal. You know, and I'm really tired of people trying to tell me how to think. Well, me too. And uh, actually, I don't listen to them anymore, and I suggest to you the same thing. Well, okay. You know, I'm so glad you had Stan Tannen on last night. Wasn't he good? Or the night before. Was it last night? Absolutely yes. awesome. Yes, he's absolutely awesome. You know, I can't believe all this uh, hoopla is coming out about a code being in the Bible because, like, lots of people have known it for thousands of years. You well, know, again... Not exactly Gematria, but... Right. Uh, know, again, uh, I want to say this. Thank you. I want to say that if there is a code in the Bible and everybody seems to agree there is, then it seems to me that that code would be something far more profound than some sort of predictive Edgar Casey type uh, thing where we will get the name or find out that somebody is going to be assassinated at some future date 
that the Bible and a code in it would be far more profound. And without going into all the details of that program, you should get it on tape, by the way. Oh, yes. By the way, with respect to Mr. Tennant's program last night or our guest tonight or any other program we do with a guest, you can get a copy of it by calling 1-800-917-4278. That's 1-800-917-4278. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, yeah, I just had a um, one quick comment and a discussion point. Sure. First of all, I think we should do a reverse speech on J.C. <laughs> you better have him on as a guest. Well, I did that once, and we've got an hour of tape on J.C., and I've had so many requests that maybe I'll send it off to uh, David. Okay, and um, second of all, you had a guest on the other night when you did your kind of impromptu witch night thing. Oh, yes. And um, the doctor, I believe it was at the end of the night? Yes. Um, he's completely wrong. There are no repercussions from casting curses. Well, now Unless you're... Unless I'm building up some sort of karmic bank account because nothing's ever happened to me. Uh-huh. But, I mean, you, you might say that today and tomorrow you walk across the road and you're flattened by an 18-wheeler. Well, still, yeah, but seven years now it's been going on. I think I would have seen something by this point. Uh -oh. I tend to think that... Um, you slammed a curse on somebody? Oh, many, 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 many. Many? Nothing bad has ever happened? Well, um, my long-distance phone bill is a little bit high sometimes. Other than that, nothing really. <laughs> um, I believe what happens is when you allow yourself to feel guilt about what you've done, it kind of brings it back on you like a psychic boomerang. Yeah, I know, but like a candid camera, when you least expect it. Well, we shall see, I suppose. Uh-huh. Well, I'll look forward to hearing from you on a regular basis, and if I don't, I'll assume the worst. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, no problem. All right. Bye. Take care. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Hi. Uh, let me get the radio. Oh, yes. Turn that sucker off. And tell us where you are calling from. Uh, this is Dan. I'm calling from Texas. How are you today? Okay. Um, I had several just quick points. Uh, on the uh, cold fusion guest that you had tonight. Yes. Uh, the radioactive material... There are other nuclear reactions that go on besides just the fast nuclear reaction. That's what you get in fission. And uh, they've had uh, several incidences of uh, nuclear fizzles where you almost have a critical mass. And all you're doing when you have fission is you get enough of the material together that it dissolves itself from its own radiations. Yes. It's a chain reaction within it. And yes. it's entirely likely that at the subatomic level there's other... There's a lot of things that make up the atom. There's the strange number and all kinds of things that we don't things know. About. That, yeah. Well, we know about, but we don't know. In other know words, what reactions uh, taking place uh, between elements yeah. that we just simply don't understand yet. And what you may have there is it's changing because of some reaction that we don't know. Right. Uh, right. And Having said all that, at the end of the day, if they found something that is practical and can be used, and can replace this fossil fuel we're burning now, and we don't investigate it, we're out of our minds. Absolutely. Moreover, if they can prove that high-level nuclear waste can be um, uh, the, literally eaten alive, um, and we don't pursue it, we're out of our minds. One thing I'd like to know from uh, the guest, uh, sorry I didn't get on while he was still there, was what are they finding that it's turning into? Because when uh, radiation when a new well, product he, decays, yes. it turns into something. Uh -huh. he, he talked about helium-3 and 4, 
Well, that was that was in the fusion process. That, uh, that, that would be generated from the hydrogen. Cold fusion, yeah. Uh, but I was wondering what the uranium and thorium that he was talking about being the radiation decrease. Yes. I was wondering what that was decaying into, whether it's turning Would have been a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry we didn't ask that. Well, maybe he'll be on again. All right, take care. Maybe they don't understand uh, the full process or how that high-level stuff is being converted and what in, into what. Yes, good question. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Morning, I'm Steven Phoenix. Hello, Steve. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Okay, Steve. That's good. Listen, I missed this reversal guy. Um, you can tell me on the air after I hang up. What? What? I don't even know what, what it was about. And I want to ask you this: uh, uh, being uh, earthquake conscious, I haven't heard about from Gordon. What, what's cooking with him? Are you going to have him on the show again? Uh, he's uh, in. I'm not sure what the right word is. Um, a sabbatical. I see. I see. Okay, just just checking. All right, uh, just answering then, and. Um, with regard to the reversal show, that was a five-hour program involving reversals of uh, the two NASA representatives that we had here and Victor. And I could not possibly cover all there would be to say, uh, so I suggest you get a tape of that show. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Thank you very much for having show after show of uplifting uh, guests. Truly, and I think that uh, it's a fantastic book that you wrote, and it, and it seems to me that the convergence between all the things that are possible and all the things that are also possible in the negative are, are so bewildering that uh, I wonder if you ever read uh, Heinlein's story, The Year of the Jackpot. Yes. In the old Galaxy yes, magazine. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Wasn't Wasn't that a, a kind of a wonderful story, and yet? Yes. <laughs> And I still, you know, I hearken back, uh, thank you, to something I said earlier tonight in passing. Of all places on the Travel Channel, yesterday, they said, think about it. It was exactly 66 years from the moment the Wright brothers flew their uh, first airplane, glider airplane, whatever you want to call it, took flight and got above Earth until man walked on the moon in the first Apollo mission to the moon. Sixty-six years. Now you think really hard about that. As we discuss things quickening, think about that. Sixty-six years. Compare that to the progress of all years prior to that. And now try and project where we will be 66 years from now. Totally mind-boggling. Uh, and since he mentioned my book, thank you, uh, if you would like an autographed copy of The Quickening, uh, we are coming down toward the end of the line. All I can assure you from day to day now and I will give you that assurance today, is if you get your order in, you will get an autographed copy. Do not wait. The number to call is 1-800-864-7991. That's 
864-7991. Continue trying to get through until you do. East of the Rockies, whoops. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. How are you tonight? Okay. Doing pretty good, huh? What can I do for you? Out here in California. Yes. Well, I was hoping to help you out a little bit. Um, I've been listening to your shows, and they've really been working out well. Except uh, the thing about this is, uh, when some of your guests get challenged, you know, uh, with I ideas which are very important, it's very important to experiment with these these type of ideas. And I think your book. What about, ideas, sir? Well, for example, you take an idea like uh, space people. Space people. Well, space machines, spaceships, space people. You see, when they get challenged, the idea that there has never really been. And any kind of diggings, we've got diggings of bringing men up from millions of years ago or whatever. In all the archaeological studies, with all these spacecrafts, yes. with all the satellites, yes. with everything coming in, we have not got one single space object, outer space object, except a meteor, anywhere in any museum that you have pictures of things. Well, uh, how do you know we don't? <laughs> you say that. Uh, on display we don't. That's true in public. Does somebody have them? Does the government have them? That's a different question. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. To the phones, West of the Rockies, you're high. Hey, how's it going, Art? It's, uh, it's going, uh, sir. Turn it off, actually. All the way off. What? All the way off, actually. Uh, it's off, it's off. It's ah, off. It was good. just a little bit out of reach. Okay, we'll go right ahead, sir. Okay, do you realize this year, following the movie 2001, how 9,000 is supposed to be built, or next year, 98? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you. Um. Oh, gosh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I hate when that happens. Okay, no, I'm back. Have you done the experiment with the, um, oh, this is uh, uh, Morris Cat calling from, uh, Seattle, Washington, on Como 1000. Have I done what? Uh, calling on Como 1000, Morris the Cat. That's my leg. That's my, my I don't, name. I, I don't know what you're talking about, sir. Uh, now, um, the experiment you proposed where you had everyone think on the UFO. Oh, no, no, we have not done that yet. Have and, not done and, that? and I guarantee you we are going to do it. Okay, well, I want to propose you an interesting thought. Now, I'm an individual who does not believe in aliens. That's cool. But the next time you do that, I want to propose. I don't, it. you know, I don't believe in them either. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, oh, really. You do I mean, say that. You do say that. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. I don't believe in them. I mean, that indicates faith, and I don't make a leap of faith. Uh, you know, until I see one, touch one, shake hands with one, <laughs> say, you know, how's an Andromeda or wherever you're from. Uh, right. I, no, I don't believe in one. I uh, am interested, and I suggest to you that it's more probable than not that mm -hmm. they do exist. Right. But be careful about those words. I know, but 
for myself, I, I've got to see it to believe it. I, I follow that old train of thought. Well, we agree then. All right. But um, that whenever you do decide to do that, um, I want to propose an, uh, an experiment, an actual um, alien abduction by me. You want to be abducted? Yeah, just for sure, because I don't... Why go to such trouble? I mean, why not just have them come down and hover over the Space Needle for a while? Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, no, because following um, every movie, every book that we supposedly had when they come down, um, there's always someone that uh, provokes them, pisses them off, shoots them, kills them, uh -huh. or as Independence Day. Um, right. Well, why would you call. assume it would be any different? I've already had calls from people who said, I saw a saucer, and I shot at it. Right. Eh... I, I I say it's still too far fetched. I mean, even if they were to shoot at it, yes. Um, you know, that'd be like um, uh, shooting a spitball at a missile. Well, that's that a, that's always stupid. yeah, that's always been my view too. Um, a stupid uh, stupid thing to do. If you see an anomalous object, a saucer, or something that appears to be defying gravity, or something that appears to be not fully uh, visible in our dimension, shooting at it is not your best um, first uh, choice, or should not be. Uh, because assuming they have the technology uh, to be doing what they appear to be doing, you don't want to get them angry. Basic stuff. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Right. Hello, Art. Hello. I've uh, been listening to your show about six months. I'm in Denver, Colorado. Yes, sir. Uh, outside the Aurora. A home of Star Trek convention, <laughs> but uh, this uh, fuel thing, this uh, cold fusion that you had on tonight. Yes. There's another gentleman I heard uh, here about a year ago. He had a fuel called A21, and I heard him on the Chuck Harder show, Freedom mm -hmm. Network. Uh, what he had was a fuel emulsifier, which mixed water and fuel together. Which, you know, physically they say it's impossible, but this guy does it with a emulsifier, and he was working with Caterpillar. But uh, it's, not, it's not impossible at all. Um, water injection mm -hmm. uh, has been long shown to uh, increase fuel efficiency. Right. Uh, my love is aviation. I want to ask you, this happened about six months ago there in your show. I was listening back in Canton, Ohio, when I, before I moved out here. There was a gentleman called in one night. He was a pilot, and he was flying a velocity aircraft and was flying toward Area 51. And oh, yes. Heard uh, the guy shot down. Was there anything more that happened on that, or did anyone hear anything more about that? No. Nor would you expect to. Any word from Madman Markham? Uh, no, and, and, and I'm uh, concerned about Madman. Seriously concerned. Because I, all the other people you had on uh, interviewing uh, different shows about time travel, it fell into his category. Uh, he was right on the right track. Well, he was on a track. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. Thank you very much for the call. No, um, Madman, I have been trying to contact without success, and my level of concern regarding his welfare is rising rapidly. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Going once, going twice, gone. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, this is uh, Anthony from Los Angeles. Yes, sir. Your age, 51. Yeah. Well, uh, I can claim that for a few more days. <laughs> I can claim it for about two more weeks. <laughs> I see. I, I was going to say that uh, the two things. The first thing is that, uh, uh, fifth, that you haven't commented on the fifth element, but that, that, that I haven't seen it yet. Oh God, it's terrific. Is it? 
I've seen it done in Piper LaCroix seven times. Wow. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a kid. But with the kids, I've seen it. The other, the other, the other thing I wanted to comment on was uh, Atlas Shrugged. Do you remember Rand's story of John Galt? Yes. Isn't that interesting about cold fusion? It's like this is the, the engine that could do provide or, or, or go someplace and just like say, hey, you guys just want to destroy the world by selling arms, you know. You're exactly right. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Art, I'm glad we both lived this long. Uh, me too. And I loved your book. Thank you. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, the Quickening, yes. Uh, that is a good book. I sincerely mean it, not just to push my book. It's a good book. It's an important book. A very, very, very important book. Please read it. Uh, eventually, I suppose, uh, if you cannot afford to buy it, it'll show up in a library. Uh, it'll show up in a place where you can read it. Please read it. It really is an important book. If you can afford to buy it, uh, the number, to you can still get an autographed copy just uh, by calling 1-800-864-7991. 1-800-864-7991. East of the Rockies, you would have been on the air. Uh, you're a dial tone. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, yeah, this is Dave from Tracy, California. Hi, Dave. Hi, I'm just hoping that this, this cold fusion technology comes out in time to, you know, save our our planet as far as the atmosphere goes. So and, do I. And this acid rain and, and flooding across the Midwest. You know, but then our government can't even, you know, send out a disaster relief bill. So, you know, and these are the same people who are going to have to fund this, this project. I know. I also had one other thing on remote viewing. I was reading a Cosmic Voyage. And I was wondering, can, uh, can they travel back to ancient Egypt and find out how these, uh, pyramids were built or yes that, they can yes and i don't know what does uh dr courtney brown or what's his uh opinion on how they were built i have no idea uh, dr we, courtney brown is a person i have not talked with in some time um and will not until the subject of our last conversation becomes cleared up wildcard line you're on the air good morning uh, good morning art uh, this is mike from glendale hi mike I was wondering if we could shift back quickly to uh, last week. You had an expert witchcraft person on. Oh, yes, in the last half hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure he knows his stuff. Uh, My only disagreement with him is that... Well, well, now, wait a minute now. I had a lady on. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. That's correct. Uh, With her, I'm sorry. Okay. uh, My disagreement would be that uh, belief in spells, and you you asked her this question... In my view, only serves to one empower that person who's been harassing you, and uh, two, as well as uh, you know, uh, opening up uh, psychological uh, problems on yourself and bringing you down to their level. And I think that atheist and Christian truths, you know, science and, and God, mm-hmm. state that whatever that person sent you, whether it be a letter, a doll, etc., it will always belong to them and not to you. And rather than engage in an arms race of upgrading salts and et cetera, that you just uh, trust the uh, good Lord that you believe in to take care of business. And who knows, maybe that good Lord will pay them a visit with a ski mask and uh, high-powered rifles and kick in some doors or something. But, yeah, uh, maybe so. Uh, but on, on the other hand, I have always felt uh, that the good Lord helps those who help themselves. Uh, so when I have a score to settle, 
Well, you know, I really don't want to get back into that again, but I don't depend on karmic solutions. I don't depend on spells. I'm curious about them. I don't depend on magic. I depend on my own action, and so if I have a score to settle, I settle it, and I hope that I'm doing the righteous thing, and I depend on the old uh, God helps those uh, who help themselves. Uh, he does not, I think, uh, at least the kind of God that I think about, expect you to sit on your butt and request uh, for him to do what you should be doing for yourself. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, Hello, turn your radio off, please. Uh, That's good. Are, are you there? Uh, no, I'm, I'm somewhere else. Where, where in the hell are you? Um, here and there. You or as Rush would say, uh, as long as I'm there, it, it's okay. Can I tell you where I've been? I've been San Diego. I've been Augusta, Maine. I've been Louisiana. I've been Boston, Massachusetts. I've been every place in this country, and I've not been able to get in touch with you until, what, right now? Well, there are less amazing things in the world. Here you are. Well, I, I want to tell you one thing. Number one, I, I bought both your books. Mm hmm And I like the first one. The second one is nice, and I'm still reading it. The oh. first one, I, ju I got the first one after the second one, and you know what? I love you, dude. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I'm Al from Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix right now. You're in Phoenix. Uh, sounds like you're a traveling man. Well, I appreciate that. The first one, which you said you got after the second one, which you're reading now, was an autobiography with a lot of photographs, and it was for those who are curious about me. It was called The Art of Talk. That was the first book. And by the way, it is still available. So if you want insights as to who I am and why I do what I do, that book will give them to you because it was a totally honest book. So is the second one. They're, they're very different animals. The first book about me, the second book about us. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, Art. Uh, this is Jim calling from Kenai Country. K-E-N-I Anchorage. You bet. Hey, a couple things. Uh, one, bismuth uh, magnesium. And also, I understand you had a cold fusion uh, discussion on earlier that I missed. I wondered if you'd been uh, uh, talking to her about Ed Storms. About who? Um, Ed Storms. He's a, a, a retired chemist from Los Alamos. Well, first of all, it was not a she. It was a he that I had on. Well, Ed, yeah, would would fit that. <laughs> um, secondly, I've never heard of the person you're talking about, so the answer is no. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Anyway, uh, he has quite a bibliography of the published um uh, materials and uh, but to to uh, get to my my main point, um, uh, I uh, was looking at um, F.S. Williams' uh, uh, Michael Faraday bibliography, and uh, that led me to the um, experimental researches in electricity and magnetism and and uh, and so forth. And uh, uh, Faraday uh, worked, you know, discovered the, the principles of diamagnet magnetic um, uh, materials and the properties they have. And um, what he would do, it would suspend the item that he was investigating on a on a, uh, a silk thread. He had a huge uh, electromagnet he made from a uh, 
uh, a large anchor chain link that he had. Uh, yes, all of this to try and determine a mass or weight change. Um, well, no, he he didn't do that. He he he, he was surprised with the uh, diamagnetism because uh, unlike paramagnetism, he couldn't induce a magnetic property. However, the it would go to um, the southwest, northeast, or uh, northwest, southeast, and and not be any kind of polarity, but would always go diagonal to the uh, lines of force in the electromagnet. All right. Well, that's interesting. But again, if you're experimenting with diamagnetic or anti-magnetic uh, materials or what, what materials you believe to have those um, properties, uh, you are trying to measure or need to measure either a reduction in mass or weight, which would indicate a resistance to, no matter how you view gravity as a push or a pull, a resistance to or a shield from it. Uh, hence, you would look for a change in, um, in in the weight or the mass of the object suspended. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Going once, going twice, gone east of the Rockies. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Bob from northeastern Pennsylvania. Hi, Bob. I was wondering uh, if there's uh, been any talk about uh, General Parton's uh, bomb damage assessment of the Oklahoma City bombing. Well, months and months and months ago, yes, there was a very great deal of it, sure. Yeah, okay. Because it seems like a very plausible theory, you know, based on his analysis, and he seems to be uh, generally qualified. Well, it's a theory. Okay, thanks, Art. You're welcome, sir. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. This is Dan from Fairbanks. Hi, Dan. Uh, I just want to say I got your book and I read it and I thought it was great. Thank you. You're referring to the latest? Yes. The Quickening. Good. Yeah, it was a uh, real easy book to read. Uh, Good. I uh, I have to thank you for uh, turning me on to uh, several uh, good authors. Uh, I've probably only read a half a dozen books or less in my lifetime, and I've probably read that many in the last year. Oh, my. Um, all of them were guests of yours, and all of the books I've read have been very interesting. So I just want to say thanks for uh, having people on that uh, make it interesting to, to uh, listen to and to read their information. Well, thank you. That's what makes it worth doing, and that is why I continue to do it. Sometimes it is trivial. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's entertaining, sometimes it's serious, but it's always different. I try not to do the same thing again and again and again. Uh, it would be harder for me, in fact, than you. You, you can turn off the radio, turn the dial, go listen to something else. Me, I've got to be here five hours every night. Uh, it would be tedious indeed if I always knew what was going to happen. I'm glad I don't. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes. I, I got a lot of interference. Maybe it's cleared up a little bit now. I was a while ago on uh, Art Bell show. You were on You were on earlier? No, 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 no. No, a fellow called in about fusion material. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering to see if it's possible to somehow, or would, would he be wanting to get uh, release of information that he was talking about. I didn't catch too much of the program. Oh, I see. You missed it. Sounds very interesting. I didn't know if I could... Well, it was very interesting. What I would suggest you do, sir, is watch Good Morning America this morning. 
set your VCR, whatever, there will be a demonstration of a water heater that has been operating for some number of months now on cold, uh, with the cold fusion process. In addition, there will be, it is my understanding, a demonstration of high-level nuclear materials uh, eroding or decaying, if you will, at an accelerated rate in conjunction with the cold fusion process. We'll see. West of the Rockies, you're on Yeah, there. Art. Yes. Cherry Lake, California. How you doing? And up in near uh, Calistoga. Yes, sir. There's been some wells, and I believe also near Lake Tahoe. Yes. Contaminated with MTB. Yes, we're aware of it. You are? Yes, indeed. Yeah. This Lake Tahoe, you know, that's sort of a... Uh... Big lake. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of problems down here, too, uh, with Lake Mead. And uh, a fish that um, are deformed, harp, to be specific. Wild Guard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, Art. Gary up here in Como country. Yes, sir. Turning my radio down. Looks like we're coming to the end. A couple of things. Close encounters of the third kind. Remember the hand motions they were making? I do. That had something to do, I'll bet you, with what Stan was talking about last night. Ooh. Um, also, That's interesting. on the Oprah show today, we will have... Uh, we will. Listen to me. There's going to be the guy who wrote the article that Stan was uh, talking about. Ah, the Bible codes. All right, listen, that's it. Tell everybody good night. Oh, from the high desert and from up here in the north country, good night, all. <laughs> that's it. Good night, all. Good night, all.